Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I'm your host, Dave, and I'm sitting here in the Phantom Zone in a new chair, and I don't know how I feel about it. I had the same chair for probably 20 years, at least 18, and it's it's flat. It didn't have a whole lot of cushion in it, which I like. I'm not a big fan of cushioning in my beds or my chairs. It didn't adjust at all. It didn't go like it just went back. You could lean back in it. That was it. And it served me well for a very, very long time. But the other day, I noticed that it had a certain odor that only a chair that a dude has been sitting in for 20 years could have. And I'd never noticed it before. I don't know if it just hit the critical mark or what, but I I decided that maybe it's time for a new chair. So I asked around. Our pal Arian recommended a chair from Amazon and he he is very for as much as the guy doesn't like material possessions he tends to be very uh, i guess his pickiness leads to uh, appreciation of quality so i trust his opinion on things and he recommended this chair that i'm sitting in about the cheapest version they had which just so happened to be the the color that i preferred it arrived i put it together and the armrests are a little closer together than on my old chair actually they're a lot closer together than on my old chair and it's it's taking some getting used to I would sit in that chair and my thighs would not touch the armrests and this one they do and it's enough room it's big enough it's just different but it is a lot more comfortable the back has a little bit of give uh the cushioning it's not too plush but it's it's also not as bare. It's more comfortable. It's it's a good chair. It's a good chair. I'm gonna get used to it. I just am gonna have to get used to it. All right. So I'm not here to talk about chairs today, though. This is not chair mania. Uh, this is nor nor is this stench mania. This is wrestling mania. WrestleMania 34 is just two days away if you're listening to this episode on the day that it dropped, which I would assume you are, because how could you wait any time to listen to the Needless Things podcast? Uh, I am here to talk about wrestling. Now, the, the main portion of the episode, we gathered some friends together, our pal Rich, our pal Noel, and good old Chris from Figures Toy Company, who's responsible for some of the best wrestling toys on the planet. We got together over the Skype, and we talked not about WrestleMania 34, which is what we normally do, 
but we talked about just wrestling memories that we have. It's more of a nostalgia show. So for those of you who may not love the wrestling episodes as much, and we don't do that many of them, so I don't think it's asking too much for you to listen every once in a while. This one is more a sharing of memories. It's nostalgia uh, than it is any kind of critical analysis of wrestling. So I think anybody could enjoy this episode because it's just a bunch of dudes talking about things that they like, and a lot of it's really, really funny. So you're going to enjoy this episode. Even if you don't care about WrestleMania, even if you're not a wrestling fan, uh, there are a lot of fun stories in here. But before we get to that conversation, I am going to do a little critical analysis of wrestling because now I have the opportunity to look at what happened on Raw and SmackDown, which I explain in the episode why we're doing the episode this way. So I'm not going to go into it again here, but I just, I, I, we couldn't do the episode like we normally do, but now I can for the intro, since I am recording it right before the episode comes out, and I can talk a little bit about what the WWE has planned for WrestleMania 34 and what I think of it. So this intro is going to be a little bit longer than usual, but that's okay because I need to get this stuff out, and I find that I like talking these days more than I like writing. And, and also that I tend to get a little bit more feedback from the podcasts than I do from anything I put on the website, which is, you know, something to think about. So, hopefully you've enjoyed our road to WrestleMania on Needless Things, such as it has been. Yesterday, our pal Jerry put up a post about WrestleMania 34. Uh, we did a Needless commentary about No Holds Barred, which you can go back and listen to. It, it, was, it was funny. It's good stuff. Uh, the movie is terrible. Uh, but we, we uh, I think, provided some entertaining commentary. And now, let's take a look at the card for WrestleMania, WrestleMania 34. Uh, we have two battle royals this year. The Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, which has been going on for several years now, and which is basically the, you didn't have a storyline, but we want you to have a WrestleMania payday, but we don't want you to get paid every time the DVD or Blu-ray get uh, Get sold, uh, which was Austin Aries' issue with being relegated to the pre-show for his cruiserweight title match, uh, and rightfully so, in my opinion, is that if you're on the pre-show, you do not get the royalties from the media sales because they're not included in the Blu-ray, DVD, whatever releases. And I, I think that's a legitimate complaint. And uh, so we've got the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal is going to be on the pre-show. The inaugural WrestleMania Women's Battle Royal also will be on the pre-show. Now, this is all, this is just stuff I've read online. I don't think that WWE has officially announced any of it, but I'm just going by the materials that I have available online now. Uh, the Women's Battle Royal, again, is the, we have a bunch of women on the roster. We'd like for them to get a nice payday, so here you go. Now, this at one point was the Moolah Battle Royal, and I believe we addressed this in the episode. This was actually recorded like two weeks ago because of my crappy work schedule, but I think we do discuss the Moolah, uh, the, the fact that it was the fabulous Moolah Battle Royal, and then WWE realized what a terrible idea that was. But these Battle Royals, you know, they'll be... If you watch them, they'll be fun. If you don't watch them, you'll see the recap on Raw or, or heck, probably later in WrestleMania during one of the many, many superfluous 30-minute-ago uh, recaps that they like to do. I am i don't know how excited I am for either one. I don't know how much I care about the winner of either one because, you know, you can kind of look at past winners 
and see what it's done for their careers as far as the Andre Battle Royal. And, you know, it's it's really more about just getting guys on the card. Uh, we also have the Cruiserweight Championship, which is Cedric Alexander, who is incredible, who is an okay talker who can probably get better. He's got charisma. And Mustafa Ali, who's awesome. Uh, he's tremendous in the ring. I think he's a good talker. He's cut a bunch of good promos. Uh, I'm really excited about this guy and seeing what he does in the future. I think he's the guy that should win, but I think Cedric Alexander is probably going to take the title home. But I like both of these guys. This match is probably going to be awesome. Uh, last year, if you remember, my pick for, for best match at WrestleMania was the Cruiserweight title match between Austin Aries and Neville. And, uh, you know, take that uh, for what it's worth. But the Cruiserweight Championship match will be worth tuning in early to the pre-show. And I imagine it'll be the last match before uh, the WrestleMania pay-per-view itself actually starts. Which is, as of now, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll see if that holds. Right now they're saying WrestleMania is going to be six hours. I imagine that's two hours of pre-show and four hours of WrestleMania. We'll see. They've got a lot of stuff booked. So, uh, I don't know. We're going to see. Uh, uh, Raw Tag Team Championship. The Bar, who are excellent and who at this point almost feel like division killers. They're so damn good. You have Sheamus, who is a former world champion, who has held many titles. And you've got Cesaro, who is the Swiss Superman, and that says it all. And they're an amazing team that have, over the past couple of years, become a force uh, on the Raw roster a destination segment always and they are taking on Braun Strowman the MVP certainly the Raw MVP possibly the WWE MVP of 2017 and Strowman has to choose a tag team partner now there was a segment on Raw that I thought was really stupid where Strowman went and supposedly got his partner and then came back out wearing a shirt and some glasses and said he was Braun's brother, Brain Strowman. Everybody else on the internet, the the needless things are regulars, the needless commentary team, everybody in the world but me thought this was hilarious. And it's not that I didn't think it was hilarious, it's that I'm very concerned about WWE's ability to know where the line is doing comedy shit with Braun. And, and you know what I mean. You know, if you're a wrestling fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you look at it that way, I think you can recognize my concern about them doing too much shtick with Braun, who is really, really good at just destroying people. So uh, this match, I, I don't know how I feel about it, really. Basically, anything they do with Braun winning the tag titles is going to end up being a gimmick. Unless they do, unless his partner is like Joe. But even then, it's more gimmicky where it's going to be how long can they be a team? When do they end up feuding? As opposed to the bar who are just a strong tag team that elevate the titles. I don't really want the tag titles to become a, a prop for a storyline. Uh, but whatever. The, the, you know, Braun to date has had more good than bad so i have faith and this match is going to be badass either way moving on to the smackdown tag team championship that we've seen plenty of the usos versus new day it doesn't mean i don't want more of it though 
but we've got the Bludgeon Brothers added in now too, who have been great. I really thought it was a corny gimmick when they first showed up because Harper and Rowan don't need a gimmick, but it has successfully refreshed a couple of guys that WWE has kind of flubbed a couple of times. So I'll take it. It's fine. Uh, Usos and New Day. Usos are the best tag team in WWE right now. Period. If you're not counting NXT tag teams, and and maybe even if you are, but the Usos are a, a phenomenon. Their mic skills, their their promos are highlights of SmackDown every single time. Uh, their matches are great. Their matches against New Day have been tremendous, and adding the Bludgeon Brothers in is is interesting. And I think, I think it would be more so if there weren't so many uh, more than more than pairing matches on the card. And actually, now that I'm sitting here looking at the card, there really aren't as many as I thought there were. Uh, so, so maybe it's not that bad after all. Maybe it's just SmackDown doing that. Uh, so anyway, triple threat tag team match for the SmackDown Tag Team Championship. I'm calling for. Do I have to pick a winner? I hate to see the Usos lose it. I have no interest in seeing the Bludgeon Brothers get the titles. And New Day, I I feel so strongly that they need to move on to other things. So I I don't know. I don't know what the options are here. I I would love to... Honestly, I'd love to see the Usos retain. I'm not going to lie. Those guys deserve something really special. And with the rosters freshening up after WrestleMania, there are other opportunities ahead for new feuds and great new things. I don't, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I just I can't feel like it's going to be great for New Day to win. Uh, the Bludgeon Brothers winning isn't isn't going to satisfy anybody, but also isn't going to feel like this major thing. I don't know, but but the match is going to be awesome, so that's cool. Uh, United States Championship, which is also a SmackDown match. Uh, Randy Orton is the champion, and and let me say, for the first time ever, I am enjoying Randy Orton. I know not everybody's going to agree with that, but I think his character is perfect right now. I think his interaction with Rude, Mahal, and Rusev is perfect right now. He has exactly the right level of cockiness. Uh, and he gets in the ring and he knows what to do. No, he's not the most exciting guy on the roster, but I'll tell you right now, at this point in my wrestling fandom, excitement is not the greatest thing. I would rather see somebody throw a good working punch than, and, and I say this during the episode, and I've said it a bunch of times, and it's but it's just how I feel. I would rather see somebody throw a good working punch than do a flippity-do over the top rope. Because every time I see somebody do a move that I feel is dangerous, it takes me out of the match. And every time I see somebody throw a shitty punch, it takes me out of the match. So let's get some good working punches in there, and Randy Orton does that. Randy Orton works safely, he works well, and uh, this four-way match with three guys that I never would have imagined I would have liked at any point. Bobby Roode, I followed his career all through TNA because I was an early adopter of TNA. And I I know Bobby Roode well, and I never saw in him what other people saw in him. But now I see the star quality. Uh, It's unfortunate that he's this long in the tooth before 
he's really had an opportunity to capitalize on it more. I mean, don't get me wrong. He had a great career in TNA at the TNA level, uh, and I wish the best for the guy in WWE. I do not, however, think Sunday night is his time to shine because I think it's time for Rusev. I mean, first of all, it just so happens that WrestleMania falls on Rusev Day. So how can anything other than Rusev, who is selling merchandise like crazy, which is why he was put into this match, rumors have it. Uh, Rusev's got to walk out the champ. I, I, I think he absolutely has to walk out the champ. I think either that or something horrible happens to him to initiate a, fa- a full face turn. Because, I mean, the guy's a face now anyway. But he's not. He's still doing heel stuff. Uh, and it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, he's a cool heel. It's one of those things where, like, the audience sees him do something underhanded and they're like, we don't care because we love Rusev. And we love Aiden English singing Rusev Day. Uh, which, by the way... Great for Aiden English, man. I've liked that guy since he was in NXT. I, I think it's a damn shame the Vaudevillains weren't able to do more on the main roster. But uh, good for Aiden English for finding a thing and for being great at it. For filling a niche in WWE that nobody knew needed to be filled and that nobody else could fill. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for Rusev to walk out the U.S. champ and uh, Rude to make a full heel turn. Uh, Intercontinental Championship, Miz, the greatest heel in the game right now, defending against Seth Rollins and Finn Balor, who I find uh, very boring. Sorry, guys. I said this to the commentary team, and again, I'm in the minority on this one. Uh, I was not impressed with Rollins and Balor's gymnastics exhibition on Raw. It didn't feel like a fight to me. It felt like a couple of guys waiting for the opportunity to do their next flippity-doo move. And I think both of them are really talented, and I think in the right conditions, each of them could be great. I think Balor at this point, for me personally, me personally, has more upside than Rollins because Rollins is just not a great babyface. I think Balor could work either way, especially right now. He's coming across as something of a tweener where a little bit of a shift in either direction, and he could be a great face or a great heel. I would like to see heel Balor with the Balor Club, start to dominate. But I don't know that that's in the cards. I got, I read something today that qualifies as a rumor, but with a tweet from Balor himself could be considered a substantiated rumor, but I'm not going to comment on it because it opens up a whole can of worms that we're not prepared to discuss on the Needless Things podcast. But I will just say this, I don't think heel Balor is happening anytime soon, but I do think he has a new direction coming up soon that uh, will be very interesting and a challenge for the nuance-impaired WWE creative team to handle if they pull the trigger on it. Okay, Uh, so Intercontinental Championship, I want Miz to retain, uh, which is... Uh, you know, I just do. I just do. I don't think Rollins gain. I think Rollins and Balor foil each other, and Miz manages to weasel out with the title. Uh, Raw Women's Championship: Alexa Bliss, who is my current favorite uh, women's wrestler, whose name isn't Oscar. 
Um, she's the champion defending against Nia Jax in a story that could have told itself, but unfortunately, WWE writers had to step in and make it embarrassing and groan-worthy and heavy-handed and just... Ugh, the last couple of weeks of this story have been painful to watch to the point where I've had to fast-forward a couple of times. Uh, I have, however, grown to like Nia Jax. She took a while for me to really... Uh, sort of see her value because honestly she seemed really green for a really long time but I feel like over the last few months she's stepped it up she's learned how to be a monster more I still hate her theme music I still hate the stupid pause at the top of the stage where they do her eyes I, I think they could do better they could serve her a lot better with a change up in theme music I don't know why they dress her like they do uh, it it's like they're trying to accentuate, uh, you know, she she could look cooler than she does. I'll just say that. Uh, but she doesn't, and that's how it is. I don't know how I feel about Naya as champ, though. But at the same time, I can't just sit here and say I want everyone to retain just because the champ happens to be my favorite right now. So I'm going to say Nia probably wins this one. We get a good, happy time victory. Alexa Bliss, you know, loses her shit. And uh, that's that's okay because Bliss doesn't need the championship at this point. I think she can move on to other things uh, that are perhaps more storyline-based. We'll see. SmackDown Women's Championship. Asuka, uh, my current favorite person on the roster, maybe. I would have to sit down and really think about that. But I just love Asuka. I think she feels more real than anyone else on the roster right now. I buy her the second she walks out. Everything she does is tremendous. Uh, no, she doesn't speak English super well. To me, that adds to her character. That adds to the mystique. That adds to the weirdness that she generates when she comes out. And it's it's almost like a mind game of its own. I love Asuka. I want her to win this. Uh, and then I want Carmella to come out and, and ambush her and win the title and hand her a loss so we don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh so that's it. Uh, Carmella walks out, SmackDown Women's Champion. I do not want Ellsworth anywhere near WrestleMania at all, uh, period. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Daniel Bryan. Oh, I didn't speculate about Braun's partner because I, I, th I think I mentioned Joe just as a for instance. But I, I, don't, I don't have any speculation because there's not much they could do that's going to be better than anything I could come up with. Uh, moving on to the SmackDown... Uh, I guess special feature match, you'd call it. Daniel Bryan is back. Uh, I shed tears during his promo announcing he was able to return to the ring. I have loved, loved, loved the Daniel Bryan, Shane McMahon, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn story. I, I think it's been done so well. A lot of people have been annoyed by the fact that you can't really tell who the heel in the face was. And generally, that does annoy me when WWE does it. But in this instance, uh, it felt intentional here. Sometimes it doesn't feel intentional. It feels wishy-washy. Here, I felt like they were really playing with the dynamic 
and sort of pushing the crowd's buttons as to who was right and who was wrong in this whole four-way dynamic. And I've loved it every step of the way. I think it's been a great story. It's a little, in a way, it's a little more low-key than some other things Owens has been involved in, like the Festival of Friendship, which, by the way, I purchased the Festival of Friendship action figure set from Toys R Us on the way into work yesterday, and I love it. Uh, is it, does it cost too much? Uh, maybe, but I don't care because it's amazing and it has the statue and the painting and Jericho's stupid hat. I, I love it. I love it. I'll have pictures of it up on Instagram. Uh, if you follow me at Phantom Turbowinker on Instagram, you'll see it there and in my story. Uh, but this match is going to be badass. Here's my insano call. Don't call it a spoiler, but if you don't want amazing ideas that are going to taint whatever happens then then fast forward like two minutes and 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 then listen to the rest of the podcast here is what i want to happen for this match and you're going to think i'm insane but this is my scenario that i couldn't help but book in my head and i try not to do much of this anymore because i i always end up disappointed but but guys i'm sorry this is it i want shane mcmahon i want daniel bryan to start the match and I want it to be, of course he's going to start the match. He can't wait to get back in the ring. He can't wait to beat up Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Yes, Daniel Bryan starts the match. Everybody goes nuts. He's on fire. On fire. Finally, Zayn or Owens does something dirty, which, by the way, you know Kevin Owens has been an incredible heel for a very long time now. Sami Zayn has quickly become one of the best heels in the company. If, it not, if not for Miz, I might call him the best heel in the company. He is tremendously hateable and not in a cool way. Uh, he he has managed to do the impossible and get legit booze and legit heat in this day and age of the cool heel. Uh, but finally, Owens or Zane does something dirty, gets the advantage on Brian. He's getting beat down. He's getting beat down. He runs over to tag Shane. Shane steps off the apron. Shane... Uh, makes it very clear through pantomime because uh, and and also with this plan we don't have to see any of Shane's shitty punches. Uh, Shane makes it very clear with pantomime that uh, Brian, you know, he felt like Brian screwed him over one too many times or didn't do what he wanted one too many times, whatever the case may be. Uh, and Shane maybe just leaves, and then wait for it, wait for it. Real American hits. Hulk Hogan comes out, makes the big save. You know, I don't know if he can walk at any kind of pace anymore. I don't know if he can do a leg drop anymore. I don't know. But the guy can throw some shitty looking punches. I don't care. And yes, I understand he he got in trouble. He got in trouble for being stupid and saying shit you can't say. But I'm telling you right now, if Real American hits and Hulk Hogan comes out and saves Daniel Bryan from the dastardly heels Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, New Orleans is not going to give a shit about anything that Hulk Hogan has ever said. Everybody will be out of their seats, going nuts, weeping with joy over the return of Hulkamania. And I'm not saying Hogan is going to come back and do anything else. But he just comes out for that one big, huge moment, and it's awesome, and we love it, and that's what I want to happen, and it's not going to happen, and that's fine. It probably shouldn't happen, but man, I would mark out so big for that. 
All right, moving on. Oh, and as far as who's going to win the match, you guys, I don't even know. I don't know how this match is going to go down. There's bound to be some kind of chicanery, but I don't know what it's going to be. Uh, our Raw special feature match, Ronda Rousey and Kurt Angle versus Stephanie McMahon and Triple H. I think the match itself is going to be entertaining. I cannot wait to see Triple H's entrance, uh, but I think the story has just been a clusterfuck so far. Uh, Rousey, I, I, people seem to be pretty divided on, on what they think of her. I like her smiling, and I understand some folks are like, oh, she just can't handle being there. I, no, I think she... I think it's an interesting uh character how we're seeing her now and whether it's intentional or not i don't know but i love the glee that she comes out with every single time and then when someone does her wrong that switch gets flipped it's like shamrock i don't know if you guys remember ken shamrock and the way that he was uh you know he didn't come out smiling and stuff like rousey does but you know, he came out like a regular dude, and then somebody, usually X-Pac, would piss him off, and he would the, it, it would flip the switch, and he'd go bonkers and start giving ankle locks to everybody in the world. And I like what they're doing with Rousey, and I think as she gets more experience on the mic, and she gets more experience in arenas and WWE rings and doing this, she's going to be great. I, I will call it right now, and look, I've been wrong about this kind of stuff before. I will call it right now that Rousey is going to be big, big, big in WWE. I think she's going to get the hang of it. Uh, I don't think she'll do it as fast as Kurt Angle, because nobody's ever done it as fast as Kurt Angle. Uh, you know what? I'm going to liken it to this. Remember when Chris Jericho first showed up in WWE? Uh, you know, he was he was solid on the mic. He was okay uh, on the mic. He was better than average. I'll give him better than average on the mic. He was the shits in the ring. It took Jericho a long time to get used to the WWE style, to get used to the WWE ring, but we still love Chris Jericho, and now look at him as one of the greatest performers of all time, if not the greatest, when you consider the last year or so of his career. Uh, which, by the way, Jericho also could run out and make the save uh, with Daniel Bryan, uh, and that would be perfectly acceptable. Uh, but anyway, uh, I liken Rousey somewhat to, to Jericho's debut. Is is you got to give him time to get used to WWE. I think Jericho in his book said it took him like a year before he started to feel really comfortable there. So, uh, you know, give give the girl a break. You know, she's she's a legit badass and entertainer, and we've heard her cut great promos. She's just got to get used to doing it in WWE. Uh, as far as Angle, uh, I, I love Kurt Angle. He is the Olympic hero. Uh, he... It hurts me to watch him walk. It hurts me to watch him stand. Uh, but we know he can still go out there and do it. We know WWE would not be letting him go out there uh, if if he wasn't safe. So I'm not worried about that, especially in this kind of match. Uh, Steph and Triple H have just, you know, Triple H is great. And, and the problem here is you can't boo the guy now, or I can't boo the guy now. I can't feel like he's really a heel. He can do dastardly stuff, but but he's the guy that gave us NXT. That's part of his legacy now. It's part of his brand now. Uh, and Stephanie is just intolerable. I, I'm I'm done with her. She needs to get her come up on Sunday and disappear for a good long while. Uh, I, I don't need her around. Uh, and that's all i got to say about that. Uh, obviously, Rousey and Angle go over in this one. There's no way they don't unless Rousey turns heel 
on Angle joins up with McMahon and Triple H, and uh, they do a whole they do a whole heel thing to get her over, which I, I don't I, that just occurred to me earlier. I, I don't think it's very likely, and I don't think it's a good idea, but you never know. John Cena versus Undertaker is listed as a possible match on the reference, which, by the way, my reference here is from the OOWrestling.com forums, which is my favorite wrestling site. It's not as busy as it used to be, but the guys there are pretty insightful, pretty funny. Uh, the forums do get a little offensive from time to time, so if you are uh, a, a, a dainty person in constitution, then perhaps don't go there. But OOWrestling.com, I love that place. It, it's been great for over tw- or, yeah, 20 years now. I've been going there probably probably as long as I've had my old office chair. Uh, so John Cena versus Undertaker is listed in this. These are probably the matches at WrestleMania list. And I I should I, do you want? I'll I'll give it to you. I'll give you my my how Dave would book it. Uh, Cena is in the audience up to this point. And he says, hey, I, you know, I begged and pleaded, and they're going to let me get in the ring for one last appeal for Undertaker because you guys want to see Undertaker, right? And and you gotta, you got to go with the stories here, people. I understand we we all think we're smart. We all think we know how the business works. We all, we all know, you know, oh, Undertaker is actually an old guy named Mark Calloway. Don't think like that. Look at the story. And uh, so Cena says, oh, they let me in one more time. I get in the ring. I talk some more shit. Undertaker doesn't have balls, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and, and I'll tell you right now, I don't like Kid Rock. Uh, I, I don't want to hear his music. And and look, back in the day for frat party or whatever, sure, it was fine. But if John Cena does his thing, lights go down, and Kid Rock starts playing American Badass, on the stage and mean Mark Callis rolls out on his hog. Uh, again, I'm going to mark out like a motherfucker because here's the thing is, is as, as Mark Callis as biker taker as whatever you want to call him, that guy just has to brawl and people are going to eat it up. He doesn't have to do any fancy moves. He doesn't have to take any fancy moves. And John Cena is a guy you want to brawl with. I mean, he he can bring it in many different ways, but if these guys just have a fight, that's going to be satisfying. It doesn't even have to last that long. Uh, I've got all kinds of different scenarios for Undertaker showing up. Uh, I've settled on this one as the most fun. Uh, Next up, WWE Championship. AJ Styles is the champ versus Shinsuke Nakamura. And this match is going to be incredible. The only problem is it's... This is a match I want to see for 40 minutes at a different pay-per-view because it's a match I want to enjoy for wrestling, and WrestleMania is bells and whistles. So I honestly, I don't know where this fits on the card. I don't know, because uh, you know it's probably not going to close the show, but it's going to be badass. It's going to be an incredible match. I just... I might be too tired for it here. I don't know. We'll see. But both of these guys, top of their game, AJ Styles, best wrestler. Excuse me. Apologies. I got to talking too fast, and I had a little bit of a hiccup there. Pardon me. Uh, AJ Styles, best wrestler wrestler in the world. Shinsuke Nakamura uh, has honestly 
personally for me, I like his character. Wrestling-wise, he has not done anything for me since he showed up in NXT. Uh, he had an amazing match with Sami Zayn, and that's really all I can say about the guy. I like his presence. I like his charisma. Uh, I like his character. But wrestling-wise, I really hope I Sunday night I get to see what everybody else sees. Uh, finally, what is likely to close the show if if the Rousey match doesn't close the show. Uh, Brock Lesnar, champion versus Roman Reigns. And again, you guys, you have to buy into the story. Okay? We know in a street fight, Brock Lesnar would wipe his ass with Roman Reigns. But if you buy into the story, Roman Reigns, in my opinion, is right. Brock Lesnar is a part-timer. He doesn't respect the business. He doesn't respect the WWE. And just thinking about and look, Roman has been cutting not great promos, but good promos about this. Like, promos where you listen to what he says and you buy it. It sounds good. Every once in a while, there's a shitty line that some idiot writer put in that kind of takes you out of it. But the the sentiment behind what Roman is saying is true. And Roman is delivering it as though he believes it. So I'm all in on this story, and I want to see Roman take that title away from Brock Lesnar, who doesn't deserve it. That's how I feel at this point. When I talk as a fan, that's how I feel, is I want Roman, who we know is WWE's boy, I want Roman to take that damn title from Lesnar, and I never want to see Lesnar again, because he doesn't respect us, and he doesn't respect the business. Now, I know that's not factually true, but man, you got to get caught up in this stuff. You got to sit back and enjoy it and and look at the spectacle and look at the stories and see what's going on and get pissed off at Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn for the shitty stuff they've done to Daniel Bryan and and you even got to get mad about the stuff they did to Shane even though Shane's freaking annoying and can't throw a punch to save his life. You you got to get caught up in it and enjoy it and if you don't, I don't know why you're watching. I really don't. And uh that's enough out of me. Speaking of getting caught up and enjoying things, uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy this Wrestling Mania episode of the Needless Things Podcast. Right, it is the road to WrestleMania, ladies and gentlemen, and what that means is we have a special pre-WrestleMania show for you tonight. Now, thanks to my terrible work schedule, we are not able to do our normal pre-show where we sort of recap events and speculate on what's going to happen and take a look at the most recent Raws and Smackdowns to figure out what's, what's going to be going on. So instead, we're just going to have fun tonight. We're going to talk about some of our favorite wrestling memories. We're going to talk about some of our least favorite wrestling memories and uh, just kind of see where the conversation takes us and hopefully present something that's just a a fun way to get into a general WrestleMania spirit uh, for all of the listeners. Because, I mean, at this point, 
with all the different companies running shows the same weekend as WrestleMania, it's so much more than just the WWE now, uh, especially if you're in whatever town WrestleMania is happening. And if you're in whatever town the Needless Things podcast is recorded in, then you're not on this show because I'm the only one in that town. But the rest (laughs) of the folks on this recording are in various towns around the country. First of all, I'd like to welcome back to the show the guy who gave me my start in podcasting from dorkdroppings.com. Noel, welcome back to the show. It hasn't been that long, I guess. Yeah, well, and I, I would say that we live in the same town in the sense that I can get to your, you know, your your abode in 30 minutes. So that's, that's true. close that's enough true. to be in the same town. But it would be really hard for us to share a headset. Yeah. So we have yeah. to do this over the Skype. That's true. Uh, also joining us from a different podcasting world that i used to inhabit the host of several podcasts i'll let him put himself over in just a second here welcome back to the show mr richard yule how you doing tonight man thanks yeah doing great uh, a little late night talk for me but I, i'm love being here we'll 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 get it uh We'll get it done, man. We'll 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 step into the ring and get this thing taken care of. Now, since, yeah. Since we're at the beginning, uh, put over your most relevant podcast for this one, and then at the end, we'll hit all the other ones. All right. Well, the Pro Wrestling Roundtable is on Earth Station One Network, and uh, yeah, it's all about wrestling. Uh, we usually do two uh, episodes a month, and I mean, we have guests from. I mean, we've had AJ Styles on. Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, we've had some pretty cool guests, Jay Lethal, and uh, including uh, um, another uh, guest that is on this show. He's been on the podcast before too. So, <laughs> and and now we are happy to have him back on this show. Uh, he's been here to talk about wrestling. He's been here to talk about toys. He's been here to talk about eighties pop culture, which he will be doing again very soon this year. Uh, please welcome back to the Needless Things podcast from all the way up north. I'm surprised your Skype isn't frozen over. Uh, Mr. Chris DePetrillo. Hello, everybody. Yeah, we were actually experiencing yet another nor'easter, which was supposed to happen earlier today, but started a little later than usual. So can't wait to wake up and see what the commute's going to be like tomorrow. Oh, man, yeah, I've seen some pictures from, uh, well, just in Maryland. It's it's uh, all ice and snow. So you're uh, I'm sure you're in for a treat in the morning. Well, you know, I'm glancing outside right now, and all the snow that came down earlier is kind of washing away and turning to rain. So, you know, we might have we might have gotten lucky this time. And uh, thank you, Richard, for putting me in the same company as AJ Styles and Jay Lethal in that yeah. little introduction there. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, you have worked with some of them. <laughs> that is that is very true, and I'm sure we'll touch on that at some point as we we go along through our uh, various memories of wrestling and things related to wrestling. Well, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to just kind of go around and have a bit of a roundtable conversation uh, about some of our personal favorite memories that have come from our love of professional wrestling, Uh, whether it was a live event, whether it was something specific that we did related to wrestling. Uh, For me, I'm leaving out things that I've done as a performer. I've focused on stuff that's fan stuff uh, because... Honestly, when I look back, the some of the fun that I've had has been more as a fan. Because when you're a fan, you're not dealing with the frustration of the business. Because 
Uh, there's no doubt about it. Wrestling is a frustrating business. Uh, but when you're looking uh, in from the outside, I, I think that can be a whole lot more fun a lot of the time. And that's what all my memories are uh, kind of rotating around, I guess. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and start one off because, Noel, you were actually there for this first one that I've got. And I, I bet I know what that is. Well, I, I bet you don't. Oh. But I would like to hear your guess. Well, well, my guess is probably going to change now because I was going to say Goldberg winning the WCW Heavyweight Championship over Hulk Hogan at the Georgia Dome because that's clearly the biggest historical thing I've ever been part of, and I know that you were there with me at that time. Absolutely, and it was huge. But that is not my uh, that is not my first pick. That was not the first thing that came to mind when I sat down and thought about fun wrestling event memories. Uh, my first one is actually the WrestleMania 2000 all day long pay per view. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, this for those that don't remember uh, WrestleMania 2000. Uh, sequentially WrestleMania 16. I suppose that's really what they refer to it as now, as far as the network and DVDs and stuff. Uh, for thirty four ninety nine, which at the time seemed like an exorbitant sum, which is hilarious considering the last time I paid for a pay per view, I think it was sixty dollars. Um, for thirty four ninety nine, you got WrestleMania. However, for forty nine ninety nine, you got WrestleMania all day long, which included the the uh the pay-per-view itself and i don't know if they'd hit the four hour mark yet i think it was still three hours uh i can't remember completely but i i am watching wrestlemania 2000 in the background right now as a matter of fact uh head cheese are on their way to the ring uh that is a weird 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 (laughs) wrestlemania yeah it is uh but the the wrestlemania which is not the best uh, far from the best was so overshadowed by the eight hour pre-show that was essentially a a documentary about the first 15 WrestleManias. Uh, It was hosted by Ivory and Michael Cole, and it's one of my favorite things the WWE has ever done. And we ordered the whole deal, and people kind of came in and out all day long. we, We got up. Eight hours prior to the start time, which I guess would have been eleven in the morning, uh, we we got up, we turned it on, and we sat there and we watched WWF all day long, and it was so much fun. Uh, we had what probably forty people or so just sort of in and out throughout the day and throughout the event. Noel, do you remember yeah, doing huge. this at the apartment? Oh yeah, absolutely, and I mean, yeah, it was. I was there, I think I probably showed up around noon. I know I was there pretty early. I was there for the majority of it. And yeah, at one point in time, it was basically, you were having a party, and there were maybe three or four people on the couch watching what was going on with the WrestleMania special, but people were like out on the patio smoking, yeah, yeah. or they were, you know, eating pizza in the kitchen. Or, I mean, it was just, it was a, it was a crazy, crazy day. Yeah, and it was a huge event. It was the big, and we we had a lot of things. Um, you know, we did a lot of stuff in that apartment because it was a big. It was a three bedroom apartment. Uh, 
It had a very large living room and slash kitchen area. As a matter of fact, I think that was the night that we actually did some wrestling in what should have been the dining room if we had a dining room table. <laughs> and if I remember, I DDT'd Pete and knocked him out briefly because <laughs> because we're both idiots. <laughs> Uh, but man, it was just it was just amazing because WWF at the time did such a good job with the retrospective stuff. Uh, you can go online, and I've got the WrestleMania 2000 DVD is what I'm watching right now. It's a two disc set. The first disc is the event itself. The second disc, I don't think it's the entire eight hour retrospective, but it has parts of that at least. I haven't sat down and watched it again, but I do know. Uh, if you go online and search for WrestleMania all day, you can find people to purchase that eight-hour retrospective from, and it's well worth your time. It was just—it was so awesome watching that. I remember just sitting there because you know we ordered it thinking, "Oh, well, we'll we'll get up, move around, do whatever." But I, I, Noel, I think you and me, and uh, maybe Pete, mostly just sat there and watched that the whole time. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think we really wandered off or took too many breaks or whatever. I, like, I, I think it kept our attention really well. And and at the time, the pay-per-view, you know, in retrospect, the, the actual WrestleMania 16 pay-per-view, not great. But it was so wacky that I, I think even that kept us, you know, fairly entertained throughout the night. But anyway, that's that's my number one. Is that was just an awesome time. It was a huge party, one of the biggest events we ever did in that apartment. Uh, and yeah, and it's I one just that even crossed my mind. But yeah, definitely goes up there. Yeah, it was it was a great great time. And I, I wish you know it was funny for years after that. I, I was hoping WWE would do a similar thing again. But now I'm almost glad they don't because the, nothing will nothing will live up to kind of the specialness and the the wildness of that day but and and speaking well, of the and wildness they kind of do it now with every pay-per-view everything is such a big event they've got a pre-show and they've got the talking you know raw or smackdown or whatever afterwards and they do a lot more than they used to do where it used to be like they'd have a half hour free for all or right, right. they would lead in with sunday night heat and then you'd have a two or three hour pay-per-view well, everything is a big event now. It's like the difference between cartoons when we were a kid and now Cartoon Network. They're just on all the time. Like, right. it's nothing is quite as special anymore because it's all just there on demand. And, I look, it's great that it is. I love that I can go and watch the Steven Regal-Samoa Joe match anytime I want to. But it's still, it, you know, the stuff was a little more special back then. Uh, Rich and Chris, do you guys uh, remember WrestleMania 2000 particularly? Did you watch it at the time? Oh, I remember that. Well, uh, we actually got the WrestleMania all day at my friend's house. So just like you guys, we had a bunch of people come by. Some people came for the whole thing. Some people came just for the event itself. Uh, Not the greatest of WrestleManias for a variety of reasons. Definitely one of the weirdly, uh, not weirdly, weirdest booked WrestleManias. So I can't call it one of my favorites, but... Just sitting back, chilling, just you know, looking at them talking about the old stuff. Because back then, even with the advent of DVDs and stuff like that, there wasn't a lot readily available. A lot of the old tapes had gone out of print and stuff like that. And so, you know, if you weren't renting them or didn't own them already, they were you know harder to come by. So between clips shown and them talking about stuff, it was just really cool to kind of have that you know trip back in time with all that stuff. But to Noel's point, 
nowadays, I mean, WrestleMania itself is an all-day event. I mean, I've been there live for the last two. I'll be there live in a couple of weeks. And even just watching at home, you're there. You're at that arena for at least six hours that day. You know, you get the four-hour main show, the pre-show. It's just, you know, they're kind of... It, you know, to your point about things not being special anymore, I get that it's WrestleMania and they're kind of doing the thing where everybody's on the card and they want it to feel special for everybody. Whereas back in the day, it was an achievement. It was a goal. It was like the teams that yes. try to make it to the Stanley yes. Cup or the Super Bowl. Absolutely. If you're on WrestleMania, you're in the plans. You're a guy that got over. You're a guy that they see something in. Now it's like, hey, you know what? We want to give everybody a paycheck. We want to give everybody, you know, it's like bonus season more or less and that's great that they're being you know they're showing generosity and they're showing um the ability to to showcase people whether it's in a pre-show match or in a main match but i think it takes some of that novelty away where you can expect to see people at wrestlemania instead of you hope to see people at wrestlemania well it's it's kind of similar to you know they just had the raw anniversary show and it just didn't seem special because we'd seen all of those people in the last two years. Like, it, yeah, exactly. It, they, they, they don't have a, the sense of pageantry that they used to have, um, or the sense of... And I think having a three-hour Raw doesn't help. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And, I, man, I sure... I don't want Fox to own WWE, but I would love for WWE to move to the Fox network so we can get two-hour Raws back. Yeah, oh, me yeah. too. Oh yeah, uh, three-hour raws used to feel really special. Yeah, and now they feel like such a burden. Whoa, uh, Rich! Any any WrestleMania 2000 memories from you? I actually don't remember a lot of that. Um, we used to have pay-per-view parties every pay-per-view, and so they all kind of blended together. When I think <laughs> right. back, I, I don't have a very good memory to begin with. So, uh, But I imagine in 2000, I still lived with my mom and my grandma, and uh, they would allow me to um, like uh, just invite all my friends over. So it was like this weird conglomerate of people and my grandmother uh, who would be in and out of the room watching as well so uh it was uh it was it was fun times back then i don't like i said that one i don't even remember that all day pass thing but that seems like something i would have probably gotten oh it's, it was fantastic uh well let's move on then uh rich what is your first wrestling uh memory you'd like to share I guess uh, to start off, um, it was, it's funny, before the show, you said no mention of Ultimate Warrior, and that's going to be my first one. So, uh, <laughs> but well, we, Charging we right to the him. ring like the warrior himself. We, yeah. we loved him back in the day, and that's all right. Well, and this is, uh, so it's more about the story. That, I mean, I was a huge Hogan fan and an Ultimate Warrior fan, so WrestleMania six was you know just a dream of mine like i i i love i still love that match i think it's one of the best matches either one of them have ever done um but uh more importantly around that time um pay-per-views didn't exist it was uh closed captioning i think they called it or closed uh circuit sure. closed circuit um so Anyway, I lived down in Florida at the time, and the, the Sun Dome is down there, and I believe that's where it was, um, not the actual event, but what they did was they put up a big screen inside the dome, 
and uh, and they aired WrestleMania like you bought a ticket and you aired you went in there and watched it just like a live event, yeah, except yeah. it was on this huge screen. I mean, it's kind of funny to think about now that that we did that, but I mean, that was the only way. I mean, we didn't have a TV that we could get the event from, and uh, my mom had actually bought the tickets for me and her to go. I mean, I was young at the time. Um, I probably would have been around, I don't know, let's say seven or so, and or somewhere around there and anyway she was really sick she got the stomach bug and she still took oh, me no. and um i mean at the time i didn't really care about her because i was sure, looking sure. at the, the uh, wrestling on the screen but uh, i just have so many memories of that wrestlemania and of of that like it's just this weird memory of a live event but it wasn't live but it was and um I remember during the actual main event, the screen went black, and uh, a lot of people got very upset, but it was out for about 30 seconds, I think, and then came back up. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a cool memory of mine, and uh, I, I just I, – it's one I'll always remember and I like telling. Well, and that is great because I my, my parents strongly discouraged uh, my interest in wrestling, so – I you know I didn't even see any of those events until years later when I was able to go to the mm. video store by myself and get the VHS uh, copies of all the old Titan Sports stuff. Uh, no, not Titan Sports. What was the uh, Coliseum Video? Coliseum video, video. Thank you, Coliseum <laughs> Video. Uh, you know, I was able to actually rent all that stuff, and I started going back and watching all the old WrestleManias and SummerSlams and you know whatever the video store had. I was just eating it up, uh, so so that's really cool, man. That that is great because I I have, you know, aside from covertly watching uh, the late night, you know, Saturday stuff, <laughs> I, I don't have any wrestling memories like that from when I was a kid. Yeah, I didn't get to do much, but uh, sometimes uh, I, I don't uh, think divorce is a great thing, but it did allow me to go to that because my mom felt sorry for me, and uh, I did get a Nintendo that year. <laughs> oh wow! But but you know, double uh, I know. Well, you know, they feel sorry for you, and I played to their uh, heartstrings, I guess. Hey, yeah, you know, so, something <laughs> something good should come from such a tragedy. Absolutely, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, Noel, what about you? What is the first memory you'd like to share? Uh there's so many. Um, I, and I could talk a little bit more about like doing live events and seeing stuff because uh, I spend a lot of time seeing stuff with, like, with my dad and stuff but I think I'm going to actually talk about a storyline that was probably the my favorite thing that's ever happened was in 1997 when Bret Hart turned heel and reformed the Hart Foundation and um, it was the most compelling thing I'd ever seen in wrestling at that point in time um, and at the time, of course, this is before DVRs, before you could schedule something and have it record, you know, like clockwork every week. Um, and if not, you could go and just watch it on demand a little bit later. Right, right. You had you had to program a VCR, and VCRs are prone to failure uh, a lot. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. And every, it seemed like every single... Something would happen. Either somebody would accidentally change something and cause the, the, the program to, to turn off or um, 
I would not have enough videotape left, and I would miss... But those Raws, building up the Return of the Hart Foundation and this the whole thing with Steve Austin and Bret Hart, like, when I think of my favorite storylines that I've ever, you know, been watching and wrestling for, you know, for now 35 years that I've been watching the sport, that's the one that sticks out the most, because it was the one that was, like... I couldn't wait for the next Raw to see what was going to happen next with this storyline. And then the um, the In Your House with the five-on-five five with the Hart Foundation versus uh, it was Austin and uh, the Road Warriors and Vader and Steve Blackman. Yeah, or was, was it Goldust? Was, was it was, it uh, was Ken Shamrock and Goldust. Ken Shamrock and Goldust, yeah. This season. Um, my memory is not like it used to be. But that match, and I've watched it, you know, a dozen times since it first aired is one of my favorite WWE matches of all time. And just watching the Hart Foundation, who are heels, of course, in the minds of the average WWE fan, but they were in Canada and they were the biggest baby faces in the sport in Canada. And to watch them all, you know, just celebrating that ring with their entire family, that whole dynamic was just blew my mind at the time that they could tell a story like that that was so complex uh, that in different countries was perceived a different way by the audience. You know, it's funny you mentioned that match because uh, Stone Cold, as as the listeners know, I mentioned Stone Cold's podcast quite a bit because it's, it's become one of my favorites. He was just talking about that match uh, on one of his recent episodes and how much he loved it, how proud he was of it, and the fact that... Uh, Jim Cornette had cited it as being one of the best matches of that era. So it, it, you 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 are in good company when you claim that as as a great match. Yeah, it's that whole pay per view was excellent too. That was just a very solid show. We had Taka versus Great Sasuke for the first time. Yep. Yeah, I don't. I, unfortunately, I was. Uh, I did not come into watching the WWF again. Because that's what I watched when I was a kid. That was it. Uh, but I didn't return to it until right before WrestleMania 14. Uh, so I, the, I missed those years. Well, at the time, I missed them completely. Obviously, I've seen plenty of retrospectives and pay-per-views and shows and whatever else now. But, you know, there's something completely different to experiencing things at the time. Like, I, Yeah. I... Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Sorry. You no, know, I was going to say, like, yeah, just there was there was so much emotion in that to watch it at the time because you know I, I those were those were my favorite wrestlers, Bret Hart and Steve Austin, and then of course Owen and Bulldog and those guys. Like, I think the only, the, the first time I ever shed a tear in as an adult wrestling fan was when Owen and Bret and Bulldog all hugged out in the ring that time, and Bret said, "I love you, Owen," and I was just I was just you know destroyed by that moment. You know, speaking that of... Mo- oh, go ahead. Oh, Chris. I didn't want to jump on it. I was going to say, that moment was perfect. See, back in the day, like, to, to the point of, like, having the parties and people come over and stuff, at this point, and my parents, you know, no one else in my family is really, like, into wrestling. Anyone who does watch it is usually watching it because of my suggestion or because I've got it on. But my parents always kind of had the open house at our house. Like, yeah, sure, your friends can come over tonight. Yeah, that's fine. So... Almost every Monday was like a mini pay-per-view party where like, you know, three or four friends would come over and we'd all watch Raw together and stuff. So like during this whole era from like 97 and 99, people were in my house weekly watching the show. And I'll never forget 
how great it was that night where Noel was talking, where he hugged Bulldog and Owen, but the look he gives the camera, like he just kind of like looks up for a second and you can just see on Bret Hart's face, like I'm not screwing around anymore. Like it was just such great character development in such a subtle way. But it's one of the things that I love the most about that era, Bret Hart. It's that he didn't have to be this over the top guy to get his point across. He was still kind of like that subtle, soft spoken Bret Hart, but that you could see the transition literally in his face from that moment on. Yeah, it was every bit of it was perfect. Uh, the the wheelchair uh, the wheelchair spot with getting super kicked and like every one of those moments is still just etched into my brain. Twenty years later, more than I mean, more than ninety percent of the storylines from the last decade. My favorite Bret Hart moment, I think it was around from that time, was when they had the steel cage match and uh, they were taking it down and it went to commercial and they came back and he just did that epic um, promo. He cursed on live television. Yes, I couldn't believe it. (laughs) I mean, and not just once. I think he says uh, the GD a couple of times, actually. But uh, and that was big and just uh, it was it's a great promo. Well, speaking of shedding a tear, I was so excited to get to our wrestling memories and to introduce you guys. I completely forgot the mini topic, uh, which is actually a huge topic that I wanted to open the show with. Uh, and I'm sure you were all sitting there like, wait a minute. I thought we were going to talk about Daniel Bryan. Oh, I thought you were talking about big casts getting cleared. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm a big, I'm a big cast fan, uh, absolutely. But that's that's a topic for another show. No, I really, I really quick would just want to talk about Daniel Bryan, uh, because go, let's let's go around and and uh, show of hands via internet, which means I guess hey or whatever. I don't know. Who really thought he was ever going to wrestle in a WWE ring again? Because I did not. I did not. Uh, yeah, I didn't either. I I will say nay. I was expecting him to show up in ROH or the uh, the Young Bucks Cody show in September or something. I, yeah. That's I, I did not think it was going to happen in WWE. And I will say this. I am thrilled it is because him wrestling for WWE is the only circumstance under which I can feel comfortable watching him wrestle. Well, and I I had so much doubt that I still have doubt that it's going to happen in my head. I'm like, is it really going to happen? Are we being treated to some weird angle? Did you see SmackDown? Oh, yeah, I saw it, and I saw him take the bumps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He is... He's, I realized at that point in time he's not messing around. Right, he's very obviously <laughs> fully cleared to wrestle. Uh, yeah, but I'll say if anybody other than WWE had let him wrestle, I don't know if I could have watched it. But w- say what you will about WWE, they are not going to let anyone wrestle if there's even the slightest chance of calamity. Yeah, that's the. But I mean, that's I, the I one mean, thing beyond, about being so big and having so many sponsors that are respond right. that they're responsible for. Beyond beyond the normal, you know, obviously professional wrestling is is inherently dangerous, but you know, beyond the normal dangers of wrestling, uh, he would not have been cleared if they didn't feel that he was ready to go, just like any other superstar is ready to go. Uh, so I. I 
we we get to be excited as opposed to if he was wrestling for Ring of Honor or New Japan or uh, the event that that Cody and the Young Bucks are putting on. Uh, I I couldn't have been genuinely excited for those, but now I am, and that angle. Uh, I have been very invested in the Owens and Zane and Shane and Brian angle. Uh, I, I feel like, or I know for a fact that some have not felt like it's come off pretty well. I feel like it has because I've really felt the tension between Shane and Daniel Bryan. Um, they, they've mixed it up with Owens and Zane, like, and Sammy, who would have thought Sammy Zane would end up being the best heel in the company? He's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, he's great. Uh, but so I, I am unabashedly excited for Daniel Bryan to return to the ring. How do you guys feel? Are you as comfortable with it as I am? Uh, do you feel like this is going to be akin to Shawn Michaels return or do you think it's going to be something briefer? Well, you said Shawn Michaels. I, I I kind of hope it's more along the lines of that, where he's used more as a special attraction than just a guy on the roster. Because I don't want to. I, I I think it'll kind of spoil him a little bit if you put him out there every single week. Because I don't, the WWE I don't think they'll do that. Yeah, they they have a tendency to just make guys just be another guy uh, yeah, on the they roster. Do. They sure and do. And it's it's sad because it, it, even as well as AJ Styles has been received. He still kind of feels like he's a guy on the roster, a little bit more than most guys, but he's still a guy on the roster. Yeah, uh, you know, same thing with Nakamura. Same thing with um, the, I mean, Owens and Zane. The only thing making Nakamura and Styles special is our feelings about Nakamura and Styles. It's not the way that WWE is treating them. I don't right. think. No. No. No, there's no there's no real build to it. And I mean I know like with New Japan, it's kind of, you know, the competition is the booking more or less. Uh although in recent years they've kind of opened up more, you know, twists and turns as far as storylines go, especially with stuff like Kenny Omega and everything. But I think it's just like that match where it's like, Okay, we're gonna have thousands of hardcore fans in attendance. Here's your hardcore match right now. But to that point, Daniel Bryan's return is going to completely overshadow everything. No matter how much they try to downplay it, no matter how much they're like, okay, it's the third match on the card. I and I'm, I'm, you know, we can talk back afterwards since I'll be there live. I can give you a firsthand account. I don't think anyone's going to care about this title match now. I think it, no one's really going to care about Ronda as, as much as they want now. No one's going to care about Nakamura and AJ as much now. All eyes are going to be on that tag match. I, I disagree to a certain extent. I think I think if they if they book it smart and they book the they schedule the, the show smart, they have a they they can make all those moments work the right way. Uh, except for maybe Roman Reigns going over Brock Lesnar, but that's the whole other can of worms. Well, I'll be honest. All right, with the Roman Reigns situation, and we're getting sidetracked, but I don't care. I feel like the story that they're telling right now. Of, I think it's fantastic. Yes, it's working for me, and I've seen some cynical people kind of be like oh, well, they're telling us this. Yes, it's storytelling. It's professional wrestling. They give us a narrative, and if you're too cynical or too much of a smark, then sure, you can't go along for the ride. But at the end of the day, if Roman Reigns is standing triumphant at the end of that show, they're going to revolt. The fans are still going to hate him. Well, I don't think that's going to be the end of the show. 
Uh, I, I really hope they. I really hope not. I hope they structure it better than that. I think there's every possibility that the the Rousey match could end the show. I think it should. Um, and I don't. Uh, Rousey, I think it's very important that creative. Okay, well, one of two things, depending on your particular taste about how WWE does things. Creative either needs to focus 100% of their efforts on the Rousey thing, or creative needs to stay away from it and let Triple H just handle that entire situation. <laughs> um, but whatever the case, they need to treat Rousey, because everything else they've got on the card, look, you guys, for the first time in years, I feel like we have tons of storylines going into WrestleMania. I yeah. feel like for the last yeah. five, six years or more, the manias have been this weird, haphazard, last-minute structure of matches. And I feel like this year we're we're freaking lucky because there's so many great storylines that, you know, again, whatever you want to say about WWE, uh, WrestleMania is the big, fun spectacle of the year. And for the first time in a long time, I feel like that spectacle actually has a foundation. Yeah, there's no random ladder match that they're just shoving six guys in to get them on the show. And, right. There's well, you just... know, throw, throwaway matches like Ryback versus Kalisto that no one was even in the building for. There are a few more multiple man matches that I want to see on a show. I, uh, the, like, Orton and... Um, uh, Bobby, Bobby Roode and, and, and Jennifer Hall. Yeah, like uh, I feel like they're just putting those guys in that match just for them to have a match. And same thing with the tag situation with on SmackDown as well. Eh, multiple like triple threat matches like that I can do without on a show like WrestleMania unless they really have a reason for them to be like that, like the Daniel Bryan uh, win from WrestleMania 30. Yeah, and and that's unfortunately, as uh, Chris was pointing out earlier. The, it's it's that symptom of just oh got to get everybody on the card, yeah. And and I don't love that, but I do feel like what we've got on the card has a lot more substance than what we've seen in a few years. All right, so bottom line, it we've got to we've got to move on with our memories because Chris hasn't even yeah. shared his first one yet. Bottom line, <laughs> it Daniel Bryan, uh, excited or super excited? Me super excited. Noel, ah, super excited. Chris? Super excited. All signs point to yes. <laughs> I'll say yes, absolutely. <laughs> Rich? Uh, excited. Awesome. Well, cool. I, I'm I'm thrilled. Uh, and, and his speech uh, Tuesday to open the show was I, I shed big old man tears seeing yeah. that guy. Because uh, we, we know he's one of the ones that, that's passionate, that that deserves the you deserve it chance. Absolutely. All right, so Chris, what is your wrestling memory number one? All right, this is actually a pretty good segue based on two things we talked about because we started kind of dipping into the Bret Hart, Hart Foundation era of Monday Night Raw, and we briefly talked about the whole work-to-shoot atmosphere that's going on right now with the Brock and Roman Reigns thing, so one of my favorite wrestling memories and one of my favorite wrestling promos is the night the lights went out in the ECW arena and Brian Pillman showed up in the ring. Oh, yeah. Oh, tell 
Tell me more, because ECW is definitely one of my weak spots. Really? Okay, so I believe this is on one of the hardcore TVs on the network and actually uncensored. Uh, if it's not on the hardcore TV, it's probably on the full event of CyberSlam 96. So this was at the point in time where Brian Pillman was doing the work shoot angle with Kevin Sullivan in WCW, and this is the appearance, or this was kind of the start of the appearances that got him out of his WCW contract. Because what was going on in WCW was Brian Pillman was one of the four horsemen. He was developing the loose cannon character. He was the uncontrollable character. And Kevin Sullivan and he and Eric Bischoff crafted the storyline to where he was uncooperative. He was shooting on people. He was going off script on the mic. And they decided to utilize their friendship with ECW to have Pillman start making appearances there to make it seem like he had really gone rogue. He had really left and that he would come back at a later date and continue on with the character once, she, once he had more buzz. So at CyberSlam 96, which at the time was ECW's internet fan club convention, right? so right. this is how far back we're going, um, You know, Joey Styles is doing the intro for Hardcore TV because what ECW used to do on the big events before they did pay-per-view or anything is they chop them up into three or four hours of television. So Joey Styles is doing like the big intro for the TV show, and the lights go out, and there's Brian Tillman in his studded vest with his uh, cane and just kind of walking around the ring. And this was the infamous Smart Marks promo where he was going off on all the smart fans that think they knew what was going on and how they would read the newsletters and read all the spoilers online and think that they were, like, hip to the industry and everything. And he called Eric Bischoff a piece of shit and just F this, F that. And he threatened to, and I quote, whip out his Johnson and piss in this hellhole and it took Paul Heyman and Shane Douglas and Todd Gordon and a bunch of security guys to come and try to drag him out of the ring and they actually even went the extra mile where you could hear Todd Gordon telling someone like off camera uh, he's shooting he's shooting so they tried to make it look as legitimate as possible yeah yeah it's just it's one of the greatest pops in wrestling because I don't think one person in that arena was quiet at that point I think they were all going nuts. Just the atmosphere of it being an ECW, it captures that whole 90s you know, underground atmosphere. It really takes you right in. I mean, I'm a huge fan of ECW. I always have been. I'll admit a lot of stuff doesn't hold up, but I will put this promo against almost anything from any other company. Uh, I mean, I am biased in the sense that Brian Pillman is my favorite wrestler of all time, but one of my favorite memories, and he's the reason why we get stuff, like the work shoot stuff that we're seeing to this day with the Roman Reigns Brock Lesnar thing. I mean, he popularized it for better or for worse, and this was the impetus of getting all that stuff in the Attitude Era and on Nitro. Well, and again, to go back to Stone Cold's podcast, which I recommend to everyone, uh, Austin has mentioned many times about Pillman that even the boys really weren't sure what was going on with Pillman. Uh they they really didn't know if he was nuts. They really didn't know what was going on with him, and I, I think that's uh, it, it makes him certainly a, a standout figure in the in the world of professional wrestling. Even though I never, uh, I just wasn't around for that era, so I missed all of the Pillman stuff for the most part. Well, uh, as somebody who grew up watching, you know, Flying Brian and WCW, who was just just like plucky, good looking baby face guy who. You know, you never thought could have ever pulled off that sort of character. 
and to see that transition and to see him go do that in ECW and then go into WWE with that with kind of that character too was mind blowing. It was very much in a sense what Chris Jericho has done in recent years, where he kind of had this metamorphosis every time something happened. You know, he'd be flying Brian. And then when he turned heel and they did the Hollywood Blondes thing, he was this totally different character. Like, he wasn't the same guy in a different outfit like you see on Raw these days. He kind of, you know, became a little more twisted, a little more egomaniacal. And then as he grew into being the loose cannon, I mean, he legit went off the rails. And I think there was definitely a semblance of reality to it uh, as far as just, you know, he was a known partier. He had all these experiences. He wasn't a loudmouth, but he was a tough guy. I know that he made Sid back down. He made Bill Kazmaier back down. I mean, like I said, he's my favorite, so I don't want to gush too much. But <laughs> if you if you look at some of the stuff that he's done, I mean, there are times where I think that he doesn't really get a lot of credit. I mean, especially him and Austin as the Hollywood Blondes. They're my favorite team of all time, and they were only all together right. for less than a year. But they did and, fantastic work, work together. And the stuff he did with the Horsemen, as brief as it was, was great. I really, really wish that he had had a chance to develop that a little bit more absolutely rich you got any uh any, any relate i mean were you around at the time were you watching at the time were you into the D- ecw uh ecw not so much just because uh it was hard to hard to see um but uh but yeah i, I liked uh, the loose cannon brian pillman i didn't see much of his Flying Brian at the time, of course. Now I have, sure, but sure. Uh, I, I like the heel Brian Pillman a lot better than the the babyface Brian Pillman. All right. Well, now that we have all shared one of our favorite memories, uh, I want to switch it up a little bit and share something that we don't love, or a a not great memory, or you know, even in a humorous way, something that maybe didn't turn out like you wanted, or an angle that you hated. Uh, and Rich, I'm going to put you on the spot. What what is your what is your not so great wrestling experience? Or did you come with one? Uh, yeah, I do have. Well, I was uh, thinking of, uh, of of gimmicks. I got on the uh, track of uh, of gimmicks, and you know, many wrestlers, you know, they might be known for one thing, and then they go to another, like like the Flying Brian and the Loose Cannon. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Um, Brutus Savar Beefcake was one of my favorite wrestlers growing up. Oh um, man, we need we need to get you together with Red Ranger. <laughs> Um, well, tell Red Ranger that Brutus Bar Beefcake will be in Knoxville, Tennessee this summer. So, um, at a convention. Oh, man. And, uh, I will be there. So, <laughs> um, but, so I love Brutus Bar Beefcake. I love almost, like, there are tons of Ed Leslie, uh, iterations. But the Booty Man gimmick is one <laughs> of the, uh, is one of the worst gimmicks ever, I feel. And, uh, I mean, they had the booty girl with Kimberly, and that didn't help it. I I felt so bad because they could not, they couldn't keep one name for that. I mean, he didn't even have a name for a long time. They literally called him the man with no name in WCW. Yeah. Because they couldn't use Brutus Beefcake, and they weren't creative enough to come up with something that was good enough to replace that name. 
Yeah, it, it's an on-running joke on the Pro Wrestling Roundtable that uh, Ed Leslie is one of my favorites, but that he has so many, many uh, names and none of them really worked out. But the one that I think really did was Zodiac. I love that gimmick, and I love the Dungeon of Doom. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, Zodiac was a great comedy character. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love that whole uh, stable, the shark, yes. and oh. I mean, I, I love it. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, Booty Man. If you don't know, um, it's not good. But what what exactly like a, was what was the Booty Man gimmick? He, he really just looked like Bruce the Barber Beefcake. I think. <laughs> I mean, he just had like he had like Hulk Hogan colors, like he, really bright colors. I think there was a yellow and red sometimes, and uh, he just had lots of tassels. So I mean, it, I mean, really, I don't think. And he he just danced a lot, so it was. And I he mean, stole the diamond doll away from Dallas Page. Yeah, I mean, that's different, more or less. Oh, what was that, Chris? It was uh, it was more or less what he was supposed to be when he was in the Dream Team in WWF. He was basically a male stripper. And I don't know if, uh, if Richard, if you guys recall this, but his finishing move was the running knee, and it was just simply called the high knee, as in high knee, <laughs> as in booty. So this was WCW creative. This was... This was the uh, same era that was giving us Loose Cannon. Brian Pillman was giving us the Booty Man with the Heine. Wow, <laughs> it's like Hugh Morris. <laughs> uh, no, that, yeah, exactly. They, they had the puns <laughs> or or General Rection or no, what was it? Oh, huge erection. Huge erection. Yeah. And the worst part oh, about geez. Hugh Morris was every time Tony Schiavone pronounced it. He just ruined it by saying, it's humorous. I'm like, yeah. stop, stop, you're ruining the pun. <laughs> <laughs> Noel, what about you? What What is a, uh, what is a sour wrestling uh, thought in your head? Well, I'll say as far as storylines that got built up and just disappointed at the very end, I don't think there's anything to com- that compete with the higher power angle. Oh. Oh. And I know this is probably an obvious one, but there were so many thousands of ways they could have gone with that. And going with Vince, not only was really disappointing because, oh, it's Vince again, it negated the entire point of the storyline. Right. Because the entire reason the Ministry of Darkness was formed was to battle Vince McMahon. Yes. <laughs> So I just threw my hands up and I said, what? None of this made sense. This was like a year and a half of storyline for that. It could have been Jake Roberts, could have been Ted DiBiase, it could have been Brother Love. Any one of those would have been perfectly acceptable uh, based on The Undertaker's history, and they went with Vince McMahon. Well, you know who it was supposed to be, supposedly? Uh, It was supposed to to be Christopher Daniels debuting as a new character. Yeah, Yeah. I I do remember hearing that, too. Yeah. Which would be interesting to see where he would wind up if he had actually gotten that character not saying he would be like a, a huge main eventer these days but would he have wound up being a cornerstone of all those other companies in the future interesting yeah very interesting that would have uh tna would have had a very different landscape if they hadn't had christopher mm-hmm. daniels to to build upon in the early years i'm glad i'm glad you brought that up because that was one of my first major uh what the fuck moments in wrestling (laughs) Uh, because you know i I, like i said i started watching uh, probably a couple of months a few months before wrestlemania 14 uh i had been watching wcw for a while before that but as far as wwf goes 
uh, you know, I started then, so I was I was very much an Attitude Era uh, guy. Like that was when I came in, and that was the first time that I really felt. I don't want to say betrayed because that's a strong word, but I really felt like the product had let me down. Uh, you know, yeah. I obviously by that time I had seen shitty matches, I had seen shitty gimmicks, but that was the one where there was literally no justifying what they had done. That there was no way my fan brain could say, "Okay, well, I understand that." They wanted to get to this point. They needed to do it this way. It was just bullshit. Yeah. It's <laughs> the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, it I can, I can time... justify bad angles. I can justify bad storylines, <laughs> but that's one I will never, ever be able to do. I can justify Mae Young birthing a hand because it was a way for them to just, just end the storyline as quickly as they could. Well, have you heard? Have you heard the story behind that? Supposedly, uh, Vince and and I cannot remember which wrestling podcast I heard this on, but whoever related the story has enough like integrity cachet with me that I was like, okay, I kind of buy that. Apparently. Vince's concept of her birthing the hand was not that she was literally giving birth to a hand, but that sex toys in like the 1800s, there was literally a hand sex toy. And Vince's concept was that she had used one and it had gotten lost up inside her for all that time. <laughs> Which Russia, if that makes it better or worse. Sound right, but it sounds completely plausible. Okay, here's how we pay this off. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but years ago, you know, I can totally hear this pitch. Uh, and nobody saying, you know, Vince, that's a little vile and revolting and maybe even offensive uh, for poor old Mae Young. But they just went They missed out on selling Mae Young Mrs. Potato Head dolls with a hand in the nether region. <laughs> <laughs> well, and without that explanation, it makes no, no sense. No, it makes no <laughs> sense whatsoever. I, so well, they should have explained that. I would have liked Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler trying Here's to the only that. way that would have made sense is if it turned out Barry Horowitz was the father. Well, and right. the deep, fact cut, that they... deep cut, deep <laughs> cut. <laughs> okay. Them, them paying it off, though, how many ever years later with the guy in the giant hand suit? Worth it. Yeah. 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 Made the whole thing it. worth it. It's true. Um, all right. So I'm, I'm going to go next on this one. And my negative, I, I wish I had something with some nostalgia attached to it. But I, the one thing that is... Right now, when I sit down and I think about wrestling, the one thing that really, really irks me uh, even more than the hair extensions on the female competitors is the <laughs> commentary. Uh, I don't understand what they're going for with modern commentary. Uh, it drives me crazy that they're not calling matches anymore, that they're talking about what's going to happen at events that aren't even pay-per-views anymore. Like, it's not even necessary, really, for them to hype the pay-per-views like it used to be. Yes, they want to get network buys, but there are other ways to do that. 
They don't call matches. It drives me nuts. Uh, I love Corey Graves. I think he is probably the closest we'll ever get to a modern Jesse Ventura. Uh, I think the voice in his ear is the only thing that makes him not incredible. Uh, but I hate I hate it when the announcers bicker amongst each other. Uh, I hate that they're not calling moves. I hate that they're not focusing on what's going on in the ring. Because if the guys that are sitting there getting paid to put over the product don't care about what's happening in the ring, then why do we? Yeah. And well, it's just noise to me now. Like, I just kind of tuned them out. It's Well, I can't tune them out because every once in a while you get a gem. Like, a few months ago, Booker uh, uttered some kind of complete nonsense, which was kind of his gimmick. And Corey Graves said, Do you smell burning toast right now, Book? which is one of my favorite lines in recent memory. Uh, so, but uh, no, it's, it's, it's awful. The commentary is terrible. I don't blame the commentators. Uh, even Michael Cole is, he's fine. It's the directives that they're given. It's the voices in their ear. That's telling them what to focus on and what to say. I want people that call matches. I don't want people that are just promoting other aspects of the product. Well, if you go back and look at some of those announcers who I've liked, like I liked um, uh, Stryker when he started oh, yeah, absolutely. announcing. And then he became horrible. Um, Morrow really, after a while in SmackDown, started to grate on my nerves. And he, I don't like him now uh, for NXT. Um just because I think he got two WWE eyes. The same well, with JBL. I, I liked I him at first. I feel like they told Morrow, like, oh, yeah, the kids like pop culture references. Double down on that. Yeah. But uh, how do you, how do you uh, Chris and Rich, how do you guys feel about the, the modern I, commentary? I mean, I hate it, but one of the things that I've always kept in mind is, like, Mick Foley is, you know, one of the best at just about everything. And even when he was a commentator, if you remember early 2000s or so, um, he said he – I mean, the main reason he quit was because they were in his ear the whole time. Taz is the same way. Like, they they just are yelling – I mean, Taz has stories where they're just yelling at you. Well, and Taz, well, Taz I say and Michael they, Cole, Taz and Michael Cole were a oh, great, great team. Yeah, loved it. Yeah, yeah. I say they, but I really mean Vince. Yeah, you know. yes, of course, of course. <laughs> How do you feel, Chris? I was actually going to bring up the Foley example uh, right before Rich did, so we're on the same wavelength there. It's just pretty sad that no one really has an individual voice. Like, I get it. They're all company men. They're all yes men. I think the best guy in the company is actually Nigel McGuinness at this point. Oh, yeah. I really like his work yeah. on NXT. And I liked him when he was in Ring of Honor, too. But even, you know, across the board, I can't think of any commentary team that really stands out. I mean, Striker and Vampiro and Lucha Underground sometimes is just kind of really hard to listen to. Because the two of them together, I mean, between what Striker's become and then Vampiro himself... Yeah. Um, you know, Ring of Honor's kind of got that revolving door of commentary. They've got, you know, their announcer Ian, and usually he's with Colt Cabana, but, you know, they'll stick, like, a random wrestler in there, and I feel like there's a lot of, uh, a lack of chemistry in their announced team. Um, you know, TNA has done so much. I mean, I like Sanjay Dutt as a wrestler, and Josh Matthews, I used to not mind Josh Matthews a oh, lot, he's terrible but I feel now. like, 
he's an he's over-the-top a- character now. He's trying to get himself over. He's just the guy that's like, you know, it's all about me. I'm a heel. And, I mean, to me, the best heels 90% of the time are the subtle heels. They're not these, you know, overly played out, in-your-face, I'm a bad guy, I'm rooting for these heels, I did something nasty. It's like, you know, you got to kind of dial it back a little bit. Even Heenan wasn't cheering for the NWO. And yeah. I just feel like there's no real flow, there's no real chemistry to a lot of these teams anymore. I think that Corey Graves is great most times, but I think he's also, I think it's twofold for him. I think he's caught between being a yes man and caught between being able to say certain things. Yes, absolutely. Gra- Graves is, his. the only thing impeding him is the fact that he has to answer to the office. Uh, I think he would mm-hmm. be fantastic on his own. Uh, I wish TNA would bring back, and I, and I know not everybody loves him. I thought Mike Tanay and Don West were fantastic. Oh, they were great. I Don West was them. absolutely great. I, yeah, <laughs> I love Don West in a cheesy uh, knife selling at but, three well, o'clock in the morning the way. It's like you need <laughs> that as your color guy. He was the yeah. perfect. He was the perfect complement to Tanay's sort of antiseptic analytical view of the sport like to me those guys were great uh, as far as modern teams though and unfortunately because the the njpw app is terrible i haven't heard a lot of them but um don Callis and kevin kelly are fantastic uh, yeah you know i didn't even think of them when i was just talking about that you're absolutely oh, dude, right they're great as a matter of fact I, I can't say they're the best because I haven't heard enough of them. And if anybody that has anything to do with New Japan is listening, fucking fix your American app. Yeah, make it's it awful. So, I, I make stopped. It, make it so I, I did too. And I don't want to because I loved what I saw. But it's so hard to navigate. It's so frustrating to search. It's It's bad. It's bad software. And if they could just get something even half as user-friendly as the network, man, they could make some headway in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, Callis and Kelly, are, I've always loved Kevin Kelly. Now, uh, speaking of New Japan, uh, I love Jim Ross, and I love the fact that he's back, and he commentates every Friday if you have the Access channel. But his partner, who I can't, I can't Josh remember Burnett. his name, Josh Burnett. I I do not like him. I'm not a fan. <laughs> and they don't have any chemistry, I don't think. Yeah, I haven't had the opportunity to see uh, any of Ross's New Japan stuff, unfortunately, because we don't get the uh, whatever the channel is here, which frustrated the heck out of me because I wanted to watch a lot of the stuff. Uh, you know, they, they showed a lot of the Wrestle Kingdom stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they show some good stuff. I mean, uh, it's an hour show, which I is my perfect wrestling allotment. Yeah, <laughs> like I love an hour show. I it makes them focus on wrestling. Well, and that's the thing; it's I mean, a, a well managed hour. Like NXT yeah. is a well managed hour. Yep. Even Ring of Honor, their weekly show is great. All right, moving on, Chris. Let's uh, let's wrap up our sour. And get back to sweet as soon as we can. What is your your sour wrestling uh, feeling right now? Uh, my most sour wrestling feeling actually deals with uh, my first favorite wrestling feeling. Uh, because back in September of 1997, 
at one of the pay-per-view parties that I would host at my house. I had left to pick up a couple of friends to come over and made it back just as the pre-show was ending and came home to Vince McMahon somberly sitting at the announce table telling me that my favorite wrestler had been found dead that oh. day. Oh, gosh. So it was the death of Brian Pillman. Uh, you know, I don't often get upset over celebrity. I'm not one of those people like, oh, my God. You know, obviously, sure, sure. these days, you know, especially the fact that we're getting older and we tend to lose a lot more of the people that we grew up enjoying in all aspects of entertainment. Um, but that one kind of hit me hard just because he wasn't an older person where it was almost like, oh, you know, he was 75. Like, he lived a full life. You know, it was, you know, he, it was, he was a victim of his lifestyle. He was a victim of his choices and the things that had happened. But for me being a, you know, almost 17-year-old kid at the time, it was kind of like, wow, like, this is the guy that I kind of looked up to. And he was, like, my favorite part of everything in wrestling for the past, you know, five years at that point. And it, uh, you know, it, it kind of took the wind out of my sails for the rest of the night. And if you remember, that was the night of the first Hell in the Cell in Kane's big entrance. So it was kind of a, a very deflated feeling throughout that whole pay-per-view, like no matter what was going on. And I mean, you know, my friends were over and we're eating and we're laughing and we're, you know, we're getting into it and we're making our predictions and stuff. And it's just kind of like, oh, like just like this feeling of misery. Like I didn't really get to enjoy that pay-per-view and i love that hell in the cell match that that's a great match and it's one of my favorite wwf matches of the 90s but i don't think i really enjoyed that match until i watched it like years later on tape um you know that night it was just kind of you know that whole vibe that night was just a very meh feeling because you know the one guy that was always you know interesting me in something whether it was a promo or you know his work rate or anything like that and i mean this was you know i still had my tapes from years prior i mean i would tape every event that I could. So I had, you know, I had amassed my library of stuff, but it just kind of sucked knowing I'm never going to see this guy on television again. Yeah. I, uh, unfortunately I don't, like I said, Pillman, I just missed that window of really getting to enjoy him. Nolan rich. I'm sure you guys have, uh, stronger feelings than, than I do because you were there. Oh, yeah. Pillman was one of my favorites at the time. And like that, it, I would just think about that, that and Owen Hart, two members of the Hart Foundation and two of my favorite wrestlers, both found out that they died while watching WWE pay-per-views. Yeah. Yeah. That's just disturbing when you think about it 20 years later. Well, that's Owen. I mean, we, we were watching that pay-per-view with Owen and that, that's my first memory of that kind of shock and horror. Yeah. And that's a whole other topic. That's yeah, a whole yeah, podcast. That's, on all, that that's a whole podcast. Absolutely. My favorite Pillman memory is the uh, Stone Cold, Stone Cold with the and him with the gun. I mean, that's just classic. I mean, that that is one of my favorite wrestling moments. And so, so when he he passed away, that was the uh, one thing that I kind of held on to. Yeah, and that Pillman Austin thing that was edgy for like today. Oh Much yeah, they couldn't oh, it wouldn't air. It wouldn't air today. No, yeah. honest. You know, in all honesty, um, things are much more conservative today than they were back then. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I, I told you guys at the top of the show or at the beginning of the show that I was watching WrestleMania 2000. WrestleMania 2000 opens with the Godfather, a character who is a pimp, <laughs> walking a bunch of prostitutes 
out to the ring accompanied by Ice T rapping about pimps and prostitutes saying pimpin' ain't easy grab your bitches and then D'Lo Brown hops in the ring and says pull that fight fatty out light up a blunt <laughs> with the godfather you guys that shit ain't happening anywhere in WWE today it was H- the good old days do you remember HLA oh yeah, oh, yeah. lesbian action <laughs> <laughs> or, or Ed, Edge and Lita's live sex show. Oh my gosh! Which was like t- two or three years removed from PG television. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, or them sending Jacqueline out there in like a spaghetti strap outfit so oh, that yeah. she would purposely pop out of her outfit every week. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what? There, right there. I'm writing it down right now. We, we're going to have to do an episode about like the most offensive wrestling angles ever. Could it all be about Colonel De Beers? <laughs> <laughs> all right. We got to move on. Noel, I'm leaving it up to you to bring us back into the love, brother. Love. Well, I'm going to go back to the thing I was actually kind of referring to earlier. I was going to lead with this, but we were talking more about the meta of wrestling versus the um, actual angle, so I wanted to do an angle. But some of my best wrestling memories were... Going to TBS Studios, uh, where they taped WCW, which eventually became WCW Saturday Night, but it was the flagship of World Championship Wrestling. And going and seeing all those matches being taped in this tiny little room that sat that seated seventy five people. Um, the same people were there for almost every taping. There was sure. a there was a little old woman who brought a bunch of signs. She loved Barry Windham. She loved Ric Flair. She always had her sign, Dusty Rhodes. She always had these signs. They were, and they had glitter. They had, like, little feathers and stuff all, like, taped to, to them with pictures. She'd cut out of magazines. Um, and just going and do that, because they've taped probably about once a month or so, and we would go three or four times a year. So there was a couple years at WCW where I was there for pretty much every live television. Oh, my gosh. Uh show that aired on TBS on Saturday nights. And I saw so many of those wrestlers who went on to become huge stars in, you know, these tiny in this tiny little venue. And I would just be hanging out near the backstage area and Ric Flair would just walk out and he was ogling some girls in the crowd, but he'd be like, How you doing, kid? And pat me on the back and then just go back to the the room. I mean, just such intimate moments and very you know, very my... different from my experience with Ric Flair. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> But I mean, my, my dad, my dad would take me to those, and then eventually they moved to center stage, and moved out of that studio, and it held about ten times the people. It was like seven hundred and fifty people that sat in there, and it was not the same. And I remember seeing that same lady that was always in the front row, and she was there, but she never seemed as excited. It just wasn't the same yeah, experience yeah, yeah. for her. And eventually, I you know I stopped going to all those tapings. I go every once in a while, even as an adult, to the center stage tapings before they eventually stop doing them there all together. But just being there and being there like in that intimate environment, when I'd go, you know, I'd go to a WWE event at, or WWF at the time at like the Omni. And it was so impersonal because you were in the 33rd row. Oh yeah. 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 But, and you might be able to like hang out afterwards. And uh, Mr. T was at one of the shows and he put me in a headlock and you know, those little things were fun, but it was never as exciting as going to see those old world championship wrestling NWA events and, you know, just being 10 feet away from the guys at all times. Well, dude, you, you know, we went to a WrestleMania 
here in Atlanta, and it's not on my top 20 favorite wrestling memories. No, no. I, 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 I went to that WrestleMania to say I went to a WrestleMania. Yes, we got absolutely. $25 seats, but we had to watch the whole thing on the Jumbotron. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we, we were there. That was it. Yeah. Uh, I had more fun going home and, you know, watching the the recording of it than I did yeah. watching the actual event, really. Actually, that was my first Digital Millennium Copyright Act uh, hit was for downloading that at WrestleMania that night. <laughs> <laughs> I got a letter in the mail about it. Uh, Rich, bring help, help bring us back into the light, man. What's another one of your favorite wrestling memories? Um, I've, I've told this one uh, a couple places too but it, it really it, it's a it's a feud it's one of my favorite feuds it's uh jake the snake and ravishing rick rude and i don't know if uh, i don't know if you remember it phantom since you uh didn't really watch it back then but it was such a great feud um it's basically you know ravishing rick rude one of the greatest heels of all time um he would call the women out in the audience and such and he did that um, one time he went out to the audience and the girl was very reluctant and all this and then she explains that she's the wife of a wrestler and uh, then it's Jake the Snake he comes out but their feud was fantastic and one of my favorite wrestling memories as a kid it was on Superstars um, where Ravishing Rick Rude come out and he would wear pants with uh, his, Jake the Snake's wife's face airbrushed on the crotch and uh, they showed the little box of Jake um, talking you know how they used to do that they used to show the little box up in the corner with yeah, like yeah. A, a promo and Jake the Snake said if you wear those one more time I'm going to rip them right off of you and uh, long and behold he uh, uh, took off his robe and he was wearing them and here comes Jake and he ripped them off of him and there was a big sensor block over his crotch and I don't know as a kid I just thought it was the funniest thing <laughs> like it just cracked me up and uh I mean two of the two of the greats really I've I've certainly seen the uh you know the modern WWE recaps of that anytime Jake is brought up or anytime Rick Root is brought up that angle is mentioned. It's definitely one of the the memorable angles uh, of WWF history. Uh, Chris and Noel, do you guys have personal memories of this? Uh, I remember watching it happening live at first. That, that you know when they first did the angle in the audience with uh, Cheryl Roberts, his wife, um, yeah. and just I remember there were some people in the crowd that obviously knew who she was. Because when he was looking for a woman to you know to kiss him like he did every week, there were people who were pointing at her. Pointing, and, yeah. And I think the directors were trying to keep away from those people in the crowd so that it would look less planned. <laughs> but but that was one of my first moments where, and I knew it was I knew it was all worked, but I didn't I didn't know to what extent. And that was one of the first moments I was like, I kind of see through the curtain. <laughs> As an adult, that moment got really cool for me because we got to talk to Jake the Snake, and I mentioned that um, angle to him, and he talked a little bit about it, so that was really cool. Nice. It's always nice to have that sort of follow-up. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to continue our happy memories here. 
And I, I wasn't sure until just now what I was going to discuss, but once again, it's going to be sort of a fan community type thing. Uh, I, for years, was the biggest TNA fan in the world. Um, total, total nonstop action wrestling. Uh, if you're talking about any other kind of TNA, I remain the biggest fan in the world. <laughs> uh, but me, uh, I, I was an early adopter of... TNA, we were not there for the very first pay-per-view in 2002, uh, but within two or three shows, I had decided to start ordering uh, the TNA Wednesday night pay-per-views. They were 10 bucks a piece, and I would order them, and we had a bunch of people come over, and Noel, I know you were there for some of them. Were you one of the regulars, though? I was not. I did not watch TNA regularly when it first came out. But you, you showed I, well, up I, a few times. I did a couple times, um, but it was mainly, I would throw it on, because this was back when you could still watch scrambled right, right, uh, right. pay-per-view stuff, and you could listen to it. So I'd turn it on, and I'd you know have my back to the television, so I kind of knew what was happening with the storylines, but that right. was as far. I never got into it like, like you guys well, did. Well, I, I remember you being very dismissive of it, and, and uh, you're, you're... Well, I felt... I felt that they were doing everything that WCW had just gone out of business doing, and I was like, why am I watching the bad WCW part, too? <laughs> um, but we, uh, you know, myself and, and a group of friends, we loved it. Um, yeah, some of it was shit at first. Actually, some of it was shit the whole time we were watching. But for years, we watched for however long they did those Wednesday night $10 pay-per-views, once we started getting them, we got every single one, and we would watch those see some of the best wrestling available at the time alongside some of the most embarrassing angles available at the time. Uh, Uh. But as soon as the show was over, we would break out WWF No Mercy, Eventually, nice. eventually, WWF SmackDown versus Raw, um, whatever video game we had adopted at the time, and there were some that we skipped, but for the longest time, it was No Mercy. And each of us had a stable of wrestlers, and we would put on our own pay-per-views using our created wrestlers. We didn't use any of the, the in-game wrestlers. We all had... Uh, our own characters that we had created, and that's actually where Phantom Troublemaker came from, was a creator wrestler from WWF. Well, originally in WWF, I think Raw, it was one of the early PlayStation games where you could create wrestlers, but WWF No Mercy is where Phantom Troublemaker really became a character. Uh, but we would sit... I would actually book our pay-per-views for weeks in advance uh you know i i had the book for our little league and you know over the years probably 20 different people came in and out of that group and we all had our stables of you know we'd have a few cruiserweights we'd have a couple of tag teams we'd have a couple of you know main event guys a couple of mid-card guys and we managed our roster, and we had our own pay-per-views that excited us just as much as the TNA stuff did because, you know, once we were done watching wrestling, then it was time to really get into it. And uh, 
those were just some of the best times. Everybody coming over to the apartment, and uh, this was a different apartment from the from the big uh, three bedroom that that uh, we had WrestleMania 2000 in. But you know, the guys would come over, and we would just have hours of just hanging out, watching wrestling, talking shit. And I, let me tell you. I would get re- well, so a lot of us, but me, I would get really intense over some of those matches. Like, <laughs> I, it would, it, it got out of hand at times, uh, but it was great times. It was awesome, and uh, you know, some of my favorite memories of hanging out with friends are those big pay per views. And we would build the pay per views as well. Like, we would have uh, three weeks of shows, and then we would have a big event. We would do Summer Scam or. Um, <laughs> I can't remember. I think we just called our WrestleMania Strangle Mania a complete ripoff of the ICP uh, overdub. All the tapes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our ass, big, our ass big Lash one. was one of them. Yes. Ass Lash was one of them. That's right. <laughs> um, they would all be profane takeoffs on whatever <laughs> whatever the, the WWF pay-per-view at the time was. Now, was uh, this also around the time that you made fat versions of all your WWE wrestlers in No Mercy? Yes. And gave them fat names like yes. Breadshaw? Yeah, we had bread shaw, we had uh, hurt hurt ankles. Um, yeah, I've, and I've still got that cartridge, but I don't have a Nintendo sixty four. But yeah, I made one night. I got uh, this. This was back in the day where where uh, certain things were part of my life that they no longer are. I got really high one night and just sat down and made fat versions of every WWF wrestler in the game. <laughs> But and they were all super heavyweights. So if you remember, No Mercy had that. Um, you know, the little guys couldn't pick up the the super heavyweights like Big Show or whoever. Uh, so I made them all super heavyweights, and there were these big fat guys that could only do like ten moves and couldn't pick anybody up. Uh, it was it was great, good good times. I wish somebody would modernize No Mercy. Oh yeah, I've been waiting for an update for that game, or at least just to put out a essentially a blank non-licensed version of it somewhere that you could port over to a cart because I would love to just have that as an open game where you could just import all of the wrestlers that you wanted from the real world or create all of the, Oh, your own creative wrestlers with like unlimited options. Yeah. Uh, It would, you know, obviously it would need to be updated, but uh, I would love it. But anyway, that's, that's my, uh, that's my second, fond memory is just those nights of hanging out and just loving TNA for being something fresh and new and sometimes really fucking weird. And that's why I love Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn, man, AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn. That's one of my favorite dudes ever. Those guys, uh, you know, Jerry Lynn is one of the reasons, in my opinion, Jerry Lynn is one of the reasons AJ Styles is as good as he is today. Um, because those early feuds that they had in TNA were just... I, I'd never seen anything like it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I loved it, man. Those I, I miss it. I totally miss those days. Uh, Chris, it's all on you, man. You get the, the last entry of this episode, the last fond, fuzzy memory of uh, professional wrestling. So uh, br- bring us home, man. What do you got? Uh, well, it's funny that you actually were talking about that video game stuff because we used to do the same thing, and it wouldn't even necessarily be after a pay-per-view. There would be nights where it's like, hey, you're working? No, I'm off today. All right, I'm getting out at 7 o'clock. And we would do it with uh, Here Comes the Pain on PS2. Oh, yes, yes. And everybody had creator wrestlers, so it was, you know, we'd make, like, the most 
generic over the top guys with like simplistic names. Like I had a guy named Cross and he had like a gas mask and a trench coat and he was like all blue and you know, it'd give him like all like these random power moves that could get a pinfall with one shot. And then uh one of our friends started making people that he knew in reality. So all of a sudden we had a cartridge full of like our group of friends and like the offshoot of our group of friends. Well that's so what, it even included like relatives and stuff like that. That's what our all of our main event guys were were us. They were avatars of us. Oh, I don't even mean avatars. I mean like it was like like my friend created me and it was, you know, I had the button down shirt and like the, the preppy gear and the glasses and one of my moves, one of the moves in the game was Tajiri's Mist, which was the green mist. And back in the day I used to have kind of like a going out kit in my trunk, like an extra shirt and a toothbrush and <laughs> a bottle of mouthwash. So oh, that's great. my friend gave me the Tajiri Green Mist as a finisher and called it the Misterine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, awesome. we had, uh, it's funny that you mentioned Breadshaw as one of yours because my uncle owns a bakery here and uh, we put him in there and his name is Donald, but everybody calls him the Don because he's Italian. So you got to, of course, call him the Don. And we made the Don in his baker's outfit and we gave him the torture rack, but we called it the bread rack. And we gave him the diamond cutter, but we called it the pizza cutter. <laughs> so <laughs> it's actually kind of like we were we were basically doing the same thing, just not even knowing it until right now. Yeah, yeah, but, um, that's great. One of uh, one of my favorite memories. Uh, I've been very fortunate to experience a lot of stuff live and in person. Uh, and behind the scenes, thanks to working at Figures Toy Company, uh, having the licenses for ECW, WCW, and WWF at various points. And I would have to say that being there not only live to witness it, uh, or should I say not only working there live, but being there live to witness what has gone down as probably the greatest WrestleMania of all time was being able to be there live and in person for WrestleMania 17. Oh, man. All right, now real quick, because it's generally acknowledged that WrestleMania 17 is the greatest WrestleMania of all time. Nolan, Rich, are you are you on board with that? Yeah, I, I'm I'm on board with it. I mean, as a, as the whole pay per view, yes. So yeah, that's that. It's it's wild to think that too that as diverse a community as we have, as many different people enjoy wrestling nowadays, that it's still pretty much inarguable that one event is the best WrestleMania ever. So you were there for it? I was there. That was in early 2001. So that was when we launched the WWF replica belts. We launched them at Access that year. Oh, man. So we had a table. Our table was next to Sergeant Slaughter's table because he was was there doing the Access, and it wasn't completely like what they do now. Um, It was a, a very early version of it where they would rotate some people out, uh, you know, two guys at a time or whatever. But Sergeant Slaughter had a booth for his uh, golf charity tournament that he did. But he, so he was right next to us and he was great to talk to. And he gave me like a portfolio with a whole bunch of signed stuff, like a signed GI Joe eight by 10 and all, all this crazy stuff that he had. Uh, I got to have lunch that time with Mick Foley, Ivory test, uh, Taz and Val Venus. Oh wow! Was, yeah, we were we were all in a back room together, and I was uh, just kind of you. Know, I had full access, no pun intended, 
and just walked into the room and, you know, bagels and croissants and sat down and they're all like jibber jabbering and they invited me to sit down and I got to talk to all of them. Uh, I remember seeing at the time the Titan Tron figures were out and there was a Dean Malenko that was going to come out that never wound up coming out, but the prototype was there. And I remember the prototype got stolen at that access because on the last day it wasn't there. Oh my gosh. Uh, my, my boss's son, uh, who funnily enough is now working for figures toy company as well. And he helps me, uh, developing the wrestling side of things, but he was just a young kid at the time. And together we did the, uh, commentate over a match and you get to take the tape home. Oh yeah. So we did, we did commentary for the Triple H Mick Foley uh, Royal Rumble Street Fight from uh, 2000. Oh, one Royal of my Rumble favorites. 2000. One of my favorites. And uh, just a, a great. I, I met Kane. I met Mean Gene. I met Bobby Heenan. Um, just so many people had a whole bunch of autographs. Uh, it was just really cool to kind of be behind the scenes to some extent, and then getting to go to the event. Um, WF obviously was gracious enough to offer some comp seats uh, at one point when. Triple H and Undertaker are brawling kind of like at the corner of the crowd. We were like right off the risers. Like we were like right there. So they were brawling like right down in front of us. Um, The Vince Shane street fight. I've always been a huge mark for Shane McMahon. I just think he's always been an entertaining character, whether he's a face or a heel. I don't think that he's the greatest wrestler in the world, but I think for the stunt show matches that he does, he's very entertaining. He always puts on a good show. Um, I was hyped to possibly see the WCW guys, which... They were way up in the skybox, so it's kind of funny that I had better seats than the WCW crew <laughs> at that show. Uh, but, I mean, I got to see a very pivotal moment in history featuring my other favorite wrestler, that being the ill-fated attempt at turning Stone Cold Steve Austin heel. Yeah, yeah. But it was just a you know the TLC match. It was just a, a great – the gimmick battle royal, which they have not done one since. It was just, it was a show for everybody. I got to see a little bit of everything that I enjoyed, and I was right there. And that was my last WrestleMania until uh, I started going again in recent years. Uh, I was actually supposed to be at WrestleMania 18 uh, in Toronto when The Rock fought Hulk Hogan, but I was uh, a good boyfriend who stayed home for his girlfriend's uh, basketball tournament that she was in because the finals were the Saturday and suffice to say, uh, you know, in, in retrospect, after what happened (laughs) nearly a year after that, I probably should have gone to WrestleMania instead and (laughs) taken the lumps. We've, we've all been there, (laughs) but yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we will, we've already talked about the sad memories. We won't go too much into WrestleMania 18, but, uh, you know, the FTC staff did get to meet the rock. So it does, (laughs) it does, uh, <clears throat> you know, rub me the wrong way a little bit, but yeah, uh, yeah. I digress. Rus- being being live at WrestleMania 17 is definitely a, a fond memory and one that I will treasure for years to come. That's fantastic. Well, now we are 17 WrestleManias later. We're at Russell- WrestleMania 34. Wow. You just wow. made me feel I- so old. <laughs> I was just going to say, we are double. <laughs> uh, what I want to do to close this thing out is I want everybody to take a look at the card. So if, if you just pull up Wikipedia or whatever you got to pull up to take a look at the card for WrestleMania 34. And I want you to just spur of the moment, pick out what you think is going to be the most entertaining match on the card. And I don't necessarily mean match of the night. I don't mean work rate. I mean, whatever, whatever your personal definition of I'm going to sit down and enjoy watching this match. 
Uh, I want everybody to pick what you think is going to be the most fun, watchable, memorable, whatever your your personal criteria is, match of the night. And uh, I am going. And this is tough for me because uh, I'm a sucker for pageantry, but I'm also a sucker for work rate, and it, it's hard for me to not pick AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura. But I'm I'm not going to. Uh, I am going to go with, as far as the one that I'm going to sit down, uh, make my way through my alcohol-induced haze and really focus on, is going to be Miz, Seth Rollins, and Finn Balor. That That's, for right now, I think that's the match that's going to really suck me in. I am a huge mark for the Miz. I have been since he was on The Real World. I love Mike Mizanin. Uh, his story to me is so inspirational his work ethic is i think unparalleled his stick-to-itiveness is incredible uh seth rollins and finn balor i'll be honest i'm i'm not huge on those guys but they're going to go out there at wrestlemania and they're going to give it 110 percent. and being in the ring with an entertainer of the caliber of the miz i think that match is is going to be a memorable match of the night. I, I'm so looking forward to seeing what happens with that match. Uh, so that's that's my pick for the one that I think is really going to suck me in. Uh, let's go with Rich. What what do you what is the one you're the most most looking forward to, or the one that you think is really going to hit with you? Not from a wrestling standpoint so much, but what WWE has been doing with Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns lately, I want Brock to lose the belt so bad, Mm -hmm. I don't care who gets it. (laughs) (laughs) Like... I hate Brock Lesnar, and but in the best way possible. Sure. Like and uh, and uh, you know, I mean, I'm not a Roman hater. I'm not a Roman lover, but uh, uh, you know, it is what it is. And uh, they, I don't, I don't know what the outcome of that match is actually going to be, but uh, I'm excited to see. Uh, I always like seeing Brock at WrestleMania. I just think he's a he. He is a. Uh, He's not the best wrestler, but he's with Paul Heyman. He's just uh, he's the pageantry to me. Right, right. Uh, well, and at this point, I mean, any anybody who can't at least acknowledge that Roman is one of the top performing uh, professional wrestlers in the world is just being silly. Because uh, the guy goes out, you know, he has his flaws for sure. Oh yeah, but. I feel like when he goes out there, he delivers. Uh, I I I am always pleased with what he puts out there. Could he be Could he be better in the ring? Sure, he could be better in the ring. But at the same time, I don't want to see him doing you know cartwheels and shit off the top rope and whatever. I think he knows what he's doing to a better extent than people give him credit for. Well, he's also had a lot of opportunities to better himself more than most people would have had. He's had more big, big match experience than someone in True. His, his position probably should. I agree with that. I agree with that. But I also feel like there are other guys who have have had the opportunities he has had who have not handled it as well as he has. Let's Let's take a look at Rob Van Dam, for instance, who... Mm-hmm by all, you know, should have been this amazing breakthrough for WWE and then fucked it up. 
uh, you know, there there are all kinds of different things that make a successful main eventer, and I think that Roman is he at this point Roman deserves the main event slot that he has. I'm not saying there aren't other people who I would rather see there, but I can no longer complain about him being there. I can complain about the way that they push him still, and I still think that that Elimination Chamber where you saw uh, Braun Strowman run through five guys only to have him lose in 30 seconds to Roman Reigns. I wanted to watch Brock Lesnar in the the main event after that. After after taking... Braun Strowman. But after taking... Everything from everyone, Braun was eliminated. It's not like Roman came in there and just whooped his ass. Like, R- Braun had taken everybody's finisher. He'd right. been beaten on for this long amount of time. Like, look, again, I'm not saying that I loved the fact that Roman won in the way that he did. But it's Braun did not by any means get buried. As a matter of fact, I would say Braun came out of that match looking better than anybody. Well, okay, so now he's wrestling for the tag team titles at WrestleMania rather than being in a significant program, that's which dumb. seems like it was that's last dumb, minute. But that's a whole other topic. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, <laughs> look, I'm not going to lie. That's... Dumb WrestleMania decisions coming to a next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris, uh, what about you? What, what are you looking forward to WrestleMania 34? Uh, this goes back to some of the stuff that we opened the show with, and this goes back to uh, me mentioning Shane McMahon. I I cannot wait for that tag match. I know it's not official, so I'm going based on the hearsay and, and the rumor. But if we are getting Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, I think that that match is going to be a storyline-driven stunt show of epic proportions. You have one of the most entertaining non-wrestlers in wrestling history. You have the comeback of one of the greatest wrestlers of our generation, and you have two guys standing across the ring who are fantastic in their own right, uh, both character-wise and in-ring-wise. So you've got three guys that can really carry the workload. You've got Shane who can do the stunt show. The emotion of the crowd's going to be there. I just think that's the match that's going to click on all cylinders, and unless they do a really shitty finish, which I can't see them doing, but let's knock on wood for that one, I think that that's going to be the perfect WrestleMania moment for everybody, both the athletes and the fans involved. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with you. I am on the opposite end of the spectrum from you as far as my opinion of Shane McMahon goes. But uh, you are correct. He is he is the spectacle. He is the entertainment. Uh, and, and it's more about me just sort of being over him being around than anything else. Uh, I'm, I'm actually I'm not super stoked that Daniel Bryan's return is tied up with Shane McMahon wrestling. But at the same time, uh, that tag match, it, it's going to be great. And there's there's no way to say it's not. It's, it's going to be awesome. All right. Noel, bring, yes. it, bring it home, man. What What well, is first, your pick? Well, the first thing I want to note is that there are 11 matches that are listed on Wikipedia, and this is not a complete card. So we still have to deal with the Cena Undertaker, which is not yet official. The tag match you were just talking about there with the with Daniel Bryan and, and Shane McMahon, um, and the SmackDown tag team situation, which has also not yet been announced. So we're looking at fourteen matches minimum. That's insane. They have announced but, that this WrestleMania is going to be six hours. <laughs> ridiculous. And I will be there live in the sweltering humidity of New Orleans. <laughs> bring bring plenty of water and plenty of Red Bull. As far as my pick for the match that I'm looking forward to the most, 
um, as far as what is the big... Because WrestleMania is not the show for work rate. It's right. really not. It is a show for spectacular moments and WrestleMania moments. And nothing is bigger except for if they had changed one little thing, which I realized they couldn't do. But the Kurt Angle, Ronda Rousey, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon match is the one I'm looking forward to the most. I think it's going to be probably the one, because the people involved, obviously they have their own personal stake in it, so that's going to be part of the reason why, because Triple H and Stephanie McMahon obviously are pulling strings. Um, I wish, because this was set up a couple years ago, they had gotten The Rock to do that yeah, match me too. instead of Kurt Angle. Um, that would have been beautiful poetry, but... I realize they have to work it with what they have, and there's there's no better substitute I could think of for that than Kurt Angle because her and Rousey have similar backgrounds, and he's in the few moments he's had since he's come back as a wrestler, he's been ten times better than I thought he would be. Um, even that giant garbage match where he was he filled in for uh, for Roman Reigns in the Shield, he was all oh, the sloppy TLC match. He, he was he was great for what he. You know, for his limited ability, he was great in what he had to do in that match. Although the Shield uniform looked ridiculous on him. <laughs> yes, it did. Well, did you guys see the meme where it was the three of them at the stairwell, and it was like when your dad gets divorced and goes to the club with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's a big. I think it's the match they should close the show with. Um, I think Ronda Rousey standing there with her arms raised in victory at the end of the biggest show of the year would be the that's that's going to get all the sports center uh, headlines the next day. That's going to yeah. be the ones that get the most mainstream attention. So yeah, I, I think that'll be a very fun match, regardless. I heard they couldn't get Rock because of uh, insurance. Yeah, that's I mean, <laughs> yeah, at yeah, this point, Rock is filming a movie or a TV show or something pretty much always. Yeah. I'll be very surprised if we see him in the ring again. Well, Andy yeah. got hurt the last time he was in the ring, so that's one of the reasons why uh, they frown upon that now. Yeah, I don't even know if he'll make if he'll even make an appearance. I would like to see him induct Mark Henry into the uh, Hall of Fame personally, but yeah. I don't uh, think he, that's going to happen. He, so he couldn't. I, I, from everything I know, he could not do it. The Rock couldn't do it um, due to scheduling, but the Big Show is going to. Okay, that'll that'll fit. Yeah, that makes sense. And and honestly, you know, I, I've heard Big Show talk uh, a couple of different times at, at conventions or whatever, and uh, getting to hear Big Show talk like unscripted, like non WWE talk is no bad thing. Yeah, he's funny. Yeah, he's tremendous. And then that's uh, that's a good place to to wrap it up. I think before we start talking about WWE and scripting. <laughs> let's let's not go out well, on that note. <laughs> one thing that we didn't touch on is, and you know, I know it's just a rumor, but I want to get your opinion on it. Sure. The whole thing with Cena and Undertaker, do you buy into the whispers that the whole thing is going to be, it's not the dead man coming back, it's the badass, and Kid Rock is going to do the American badass intro, and we're going to get Biker Taker returning well, to oh, have a... No. Little brawl I, with John Cena. I would rather get Mark Calloway or Mean Mark Callis or whatever he wants to call himself. <laughs> I don't at, at this point. Like last year was such a big moment with him leaving his gear in the ring. Well, I, and three years ago was a big moment with him losing to Brock Lesnar. Uh, yep. He could have gone out at that point, and it would have been fine. Well, but I I like the idea of a uh, uh, Mark Calloway, whatever he is. 
I like the idea of him coming back and getting a victory before he permanently retires. Uh, I don't want a match like we got last year because it's one of the worst thing, worst, most difficult to watch things I've ever seen. Uh, but at the same time, I think if there's a guy that can create a good match and a good story with Undertaker or whatever he ends up being, I think Cena is definitely the guy uh, because he he will he will take a beating from Undertaker in a way that nobody else will. Uh, he will create excitement in that match in a way that nobody else will. He has these promos that he's been cutting. I like it. And again, I've read a lot of people who are like shitting on the way that Cena's been doing these promos. I dig it because to me, I'm seeing, you know, we've been talking for years about, oh, they should turn Cena heel. And they're never going to do it because they make too much money off the guy being a face. But, you know, for those of us that were around, which all of us here were, for those of us that were around when Cena first came in and was a heel, I'm seeing shades of that cocky prick Cena in these promos that he's cutting to Undertaker. And I like it. It's interesting. It's compelling. And and again, you know, everybody that's a that's a smart, everybody that feels like they know the business is so quick to say, well, they're writing it this way or they're doing this. Turn your brain off and just go with the story. You know, sometimes you just have to go with the narrative that WWE is putting out there. And if you can't from time to time sort of lose yourself in what they want you to be buying, then maybe you don't need to be watching wrestling. If you can't every once in a while get caught up in it, then maybe it's not for you. And that's for me, you know, regardless of what I may or may not know about what goes on behind the scenes, I'm into Roman calling Brock out. And talking about Brock being yeah, a part-timer, it. it's working yeah. for me. Even and Yes, I know that obviously Brock is not no-showing shows. That's ridiculous. But I don't care because I like this story. And obviously I know whatever's happening between Cena and Undertaker, they already know. It's already planned. But I'm enjoying this story. So, you know, I, I like to go with stuff like that, man. And sometimes when it's something like this, that is feeling feels like it's treading line. It's easier to get caught up in than uh, you know some goofy bullshit like Woken Matt Hardy, <laughs> which is a a whole other podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right, we got to wrap this thing up. Uh, Chris, where can we find you online? What are you up to? All right, so you can find me personally. On Twitter, at Zach Malibu, you can find me reviewing action movies and the like over at BulletproofAction.com. And you can find me at Figures Toy Company, FiguresToyCompany.com and WrestlingSuperstore.com. Right now, we have the Rising Stars of Wrestling and Legends Professional Wrestling action figures available with a new shipment on the way in the spring. I believe the spring shipment is going to bring us the Chris Hero variant the Ivalice from Lucha Underground figure, the franchise Shane Douglas legend, and a whole lot more. The Ring of Honor license is ending, and currently there is not a renewal. Uh, oh, wow. I do not know. I do not know what the future will hold. There are various factors at play that are out of my control. Uh, not necessarily negative, just legal things and whatnot going on. So the Ring of Honor items are going to be pulled 
at the end of March. So if you're listening to this and have not gotten any of the uh, Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Delirious, Hanson, Nigel McGuinness, any of those figures, I highly recommend doing so because we don't know if or when they'll ever be available through us again. Uh, so that's some some news that hit this week. Uh, like I said, can't predict the future. Hopefully everything works out in the end. But for now, uh, the merchandise contract will be ending with ROH. And aside from the wrestling items, plenty of DC Comics, uh, the Stan Lee retro figures, the Monkees, Kiss, the Hanna-Barbera just announced that Birdman will be coming out later this year. Yes. Uh, Blue Falcon is on the way with Dynamut. So a lot of uh, cartoon cult classics and DC Comics characters also in stock this spring. So figurestoycompany.com online, wrestlingsuperstore.com online. Uh, it's at figurestoyco on Twitter, and you can seek us out on Facebook and Instagram by the company name. Uh, for Wrestling Superstore, it's W-R-E-S underscore Superstore on Twitter and the company name on Facebook and Instagram. The the best Batman TV series and Scooby Doo figures you have ever seen. That is that is Phantom's personal guarantee right there. Thank you, thank you very much. That scared <laughs> Scooby Doo variant. Is, oh my gosh, is dude! Perfect. I love that figure. It's so and I know Richard's been collecting those too. He's been dipping into yeah. the uh, Scooby Doo well. Yeah, I love them. And Noel, where are you? Where can we find you? Uh, you can find uh, many uh, years' worth of uh, material uh, on dorkdroppings.com, which is largely inert at the moment, but that may change in the future. Uh, there may be there may be something eventually brewing with it. Not sure at this point, but there are still uh, nearly 20 years of archives. Actually, maybe more than 20 years of archives on that site. So lots of stuff, uh, many wrestling-related stories. Including the first podcast I ever appeared on. That may or may not still be out there, but oh, uh, come yeah, on. <laughs> uh, yeah. There, there may be some branding issues that cause that to uh, to, to no longer be out there. I got gotcha. you. And uh, finally, Rich, uh, go ahead and put over all thirty-seven podcasts that you're part of, <laughs> which include me. I didn't want to plug yeah. it. I wanted to give him the chance. To <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nerdy Laser is kind of my own podcast with Chris. He appears on a lot of them, and we talk about uh, John Claude Van Damme, Sylvester Stallone, Say by the Bell, all sorts of fun things. Uh, you can find that on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, the Pro Wrestling Roundtable that I've mentioned is actually at uh, www.theprowrestlingroundtable.com. And uh, you can find all the shows there. And I also have another podcast that is the horror, the Assignment Horror Podcast. And that's on SoundCloud and iTunes as well, if you like old horror movies. And you can find me at Nerdy Laser on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming on and talking about this, uh, just wrestling in general. I liked doing a, a less focused one where we're not so much analyzing what's going on right now. But, uh, Chris, I think I might take you up on that post-show because I think this WrestleMania is going to give us plenty to talk about. Oh, yeah, and I'll be hitting up a lot of the uh, independent events and whatnot. Uh, I will not be working WrestleCon this year. Could not get the logistics worked out to get a booth. So I'll be hitting up uh, Revolution Pro, Ring of Honor, uh, uh, possibly the Impact Show. I am doing the WrestleCon Super Show. So I'm going to be hitting up all sorts of wrestling goodness in New Orleans so we can talk about it all. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you guys so much, and we'll be talking to you all again sooner than later. If you can name that wacky video game music accurately, 
that I used as the interstitial uh, for the open of the show, then I will figure out some kind of reward for you. I bet nobody can. Normally, I would just use my favorite wrestling music ever, the WrestleMania theme song uh, that Linda McMahon used as her entrance music for a while. But I have started publishing the Needless Things podcast on YouTube, and I've discovered when I use licensed music, it does not show up in some countries, possibly including America, which defeats the purpose of publishing the Needless Things podcast on YouTube. And I'm hoping that this obscure, weird video game music will slip by. And uh, if it doesn't, then I will probably never, ever use any form of, like, license-type music again. Which I guess I shouldn't do anyway, but at the same time, it's not like I'm making money off of this. So, I don't know, whatever. I don't feel too bad about it. And, and you guys, maybe you'll hear something I put on here and go buy it. Uh, you certainly should go to Lysexoflex.com and check out their catalog. They provide... The music you're listening to right now. And you should also go to the mysterymenofsurf.com and uh, get some of their music. Give those guys some money. And while you're at it, go to needlessthingspodcast.com, click on the Amazon box in the top right, and buy some stuff through Amazon and help out the Needless Things Podcast. Because we're, we're here for you each and every week. Every single Friday, there's a new episode of this show. So I, I think you can go and buy some socks or, or some groceries or an action figure or two from Amazon through that link. And it doesn't cost anything extra. It helps the show out. Don't you love us? I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.